All right, true believers. I better not yell because Gabriel, our good friend Gabriel, is actually here in my house, just in the other room. So we'll avoid the echoes of that. Let me know if you do hear it. Sounds good. Cool. Howdy, gentlemen. Oh, look at your mug. Great. (laughs) Nice. Okay, here we go. We're all sporting. Yeah, while we have everybody get in here, wait for the crew to join the live chat, let's show off our spider totems. Yeah, shall we? (laughs) There we go. We're doing it, fellas. Web shooting. Sweet. So, the magic, the mudra. The mudra. Never, I never would have thought of the fact that Spider-Man is doing a mudra every time. He's doing a mudra every time, yeah. So amazing. Lots amazing. of magical symbolism here. Yes. What's up, everybody in the chat? We got Joe, Eric, Loco. Loco, thanks for all the cool stuff you post and all the appreciation posts you do for other podcasters. That's really cool. And our friend Rachel and Alan Marcus, we got on the Rockfin side, Brian Stavely. I know he's got a lot to say about Mandela effect, and that's definitely something that is a major factor in this one. Sue, hello, Tommy, good to see everybody. Thanks for joining us. And yeah, we're talking about Spider-Man, No Way Home. I don't know about you guys, but this is actually my favorite superhero. Not my favorite superhero movie, necessarily. But for sure, my favorite superhero, obviously. I got the ink to prove it. It was definitely my jam when I was a kid. Like the, the nerdy kid, like always identified with Spider-Man probably more than a lot of them until I discovered X-Men. And then I was like, mm, that's my jam. Weirdos. Yep. Yeah, I've been into Spider-Man ever since I was a wee one. And like... Uh, Growing up to learn Capoeira has only intensified that factor by a thousand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really. We got uh, Wayne McCroy in the chat who just dropped a Spider Man No Way Home video. Nice. Yeah. What's up, Wayne? Hey, buddy. Love your work. Seriously, I was just listening to it. Appreciate that. Yeah. Good to see you, Wayne. So much about transhumanism that just like with a critical eye and logic, it just is so silly and dumb. But there's a lot of overarching themes we're going to break into here. So maybe before we start getting into screenshots, we can name a few of those. I think the biggest major overarching theme that Gabe and I deciphered out of this is that in this movie, the Spider-Men fight five villains. And so you may have caught it in the title, but we called this Fixing the Multivirus. Because it's all about the multiverse. That's the plot line. <laughs> and so what does that mean? What do we mean by that? We'll, we'll get there. But in particular, the five villains that he fights, and we'll cover them off as we go, but they seem to represent the different scariants of the cooties thing, mm. the airborne, mm. the, <laughs> the injectables, the, yeah. all the different ways that this multivirus can be approached. So. There's a lot here. I mean, that's one theme. What else do you think is a major one to maybe touch on before we start cruising here? Uh, one thing that I'm excited to bring forward is the concept of uh, actual historical uh, characters being woven into 
the fictional realm through Marvel. And this is absolutely the best film to bring that concept forward because uh, my first revelation on this possible perspective was that Carl Jung had a spirit guide or a daemon or a guardian angel, whatever phrase people prefer to use to describe it. And its name was Philemon. And so I've done a few videos on my channel about this. I don't go in depth and I don't harp on it very much. It's like a, just a side note a concept uh, that I was, uh, could be developed out into a very large project. But I believe Peter Parker and Spider-Man correspond with Carl Jung and Philemon. And there are other characters in the Marvel Universe that are one-to-one uh, correspondences to real uh, people from history. And in some cases uh, uh, seem to be maybe conglomerates and melding together of certain characters. Uh, but we, we'll get into that. We'll bring some of that forward. So that's a, that's a theme I'm excited to share today. Cool. I am down with that, man, because you've seen that through all out all the MCU and that that was a staple of the comics man um, one of the coolest tricks that I ever saw in comics was uh, Marvels it was done by Kurt Busick and um, Alex Ross if anybody's ever seen that he is the reason why um, uh, what's his name uh, I, I, Professor X. What's the the actor's name? I can't think of his name. Uh, Captain Picard. I can't um, think of his name other than that. Picard. Yeah. Anyway, he's he used him as a model um, for for uh, Professor X because uh, Star Trek: Next Generation was really big at the time. And Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Thank you. Thank you, um, Eric. Uh, but he used him as the, as the model. If anybody hasn't seen, um, Alex Ross's art, he's done, um, he was the one that did all the art, um, in, um, uh, in the, at the end of the first Tobey Maguire movies, there's the, there's the, um, uh, the Spider-Man it's realistic, you know, kind of almost, um, Saturday evening post style. Yes. Uh, paintings of spider-man that's mm -hmm. alex ross um and he and because he was so good at, at marvels that's why they you know they basically lifted so much of his stuff from the comics um but anyway like he, he always wove in real humans you know real people like you always knew that um captain picard was going to play extra uh, Professor X because of that. Like it just made yes. sense. And yes. a bunch of different people too. Like he, it, he kind of uh, influenced the MCU before the MCU was really a thing. Yeah. But real, yeah. real uh, uh, characters like the amalgamation of Tony Stark and. Uh, um, I think I Elon know. Musk. Yeah. Elon Musk. Right. But uh, his dad, Hugh was, essentially Hugh Hefner or not Hugh Hefner you uh um like all the the uh Howard Hughes Howard Hughes thank you god dang nice it. I'm that, yep. names 
But no, that's great. Was, you get one Howard Hughes. Yeah. Yep. So in some of what I see here is the literally weaving the weaving of fiction and reality together, taking little parts of of true factual events and uh, layering them in with what is just you know the the realm of fiction in a very uh, complicated web, um, to say to say the least. And ultimately, another theme that uh, Keith, that Chance and I have been seeing is uh, associative disorder. Uh, oh yeah, associative identity disorder. That's the frame. That's major the major theme. And it's yes. actually not just a major theme in this movie, but it is across Marvel right now. Yes. And so let me weave something into this, Gabriel. Yeah, please. You've probably all witnessed in the last couple of years, the popularity, this will get Wayne's hackles, <laughs> the popularity of identification as autistic. There are numerous like teenagers and young adults on Twitter or Instagram with a bio, like a profile written out that has the hashtag actually autistic. Like it's a badge of honor and a, a theme or like that's a major theme for Wayne, of course, but the next step from that would be alter personalities really in terms of autism being programmable humans. And this has everything to do with the question of young because young warned about society moving in the direction of a one dimensional man, where instead of the integration of the shadow, the shadow is eliminated. The shadow is the body. The shadow is the unconscious. All these things that make us human. Creativity actually comes from the shadow. The ability to heal comes from interfacing with the shadow. So important. Yes. And, okay, so to, to get to DID, the trend on TikTok now is that kids are watching these videos that are huge on TikTok about dissociative identity disorder and borderline personality disorder and now self-diagnosing and self-identifying as DID sufferers. Mm. Really? That's a thing? It's a thing yes. right now. It's popular on TikTok to say Good that you've God. got dissociative identity disorder and alters. And it's a big thing in Marvel right now. Like Chris said in the chat, Moon Knight is coming to Disney+. Plus. That's yeah. entirely about it. that up. In the, the series Iron Fist, there's a dissociative identity disorder character, a major character. Yeah, they are, they are role modeling that it is cool to have these things. And it is, and I've seen it too, uh, you know, a lot of uh, my daughter's friends are self-diagnosing. And to self-diagnose is being construed as self-empowerment. You know, so to put yourself in some sort of minority label label is somehow claiming, giving them their identity. Okay, uh, so speaking on identity, the third yeah. theme before we break into this, that is an overarching theme that we want to pay attention to is the fiction, you know, that you brought up weaving fiction yes. into reality. Yes. The public and the private side of law and the spiritual element of public and private. This movie if it's probably the biggest theme in the whole movie, actually, because the plot revolves around Peter Parker's identity being revealed to the world and his attempts to fix that. <laughs> the word fix is also really important to this movie. We'll get into that too. Yeah. The fix. Mm -hmm. 
They use that phrase so many times. And, you know, Chance, you and I, we did our uh, our interverse episode on pr- public and private, the like the same week that this came out. Uh, and then uh, it was after we did our show that I went and I watched this movie in the theaters. And I was absolutely amazed at how pertinent that public and private is to the theme of this particular Spider-Man uh, storyline. It is quite something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So maybe we want to jump into some of the screenshots that we have to share or Gordy, do you have any other big overarching themes that you noticed in the film? I'm, I'll be hitting a few. I'm just pulling up my notes here too. Um, but I think, you know, because I mean, we're spiders. This is what we do. We, we, we kind of share mm-hmm. this one mind. This will be an interesting test because of the three Spider-Men. <clears throat> this will be fun. Yeah. 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 And I actually noticed that on a Jungian level, let me pull this up right here. You see the three, this I didn't do on purpose, but I grabbed three images of the three Spider-Men in this movie. And you have the main character who's all in light, the Tom Holland Spider-Man, the original one to this universe. And then you have yeah. Andrew Garfield, who his plot line has to do with him being tormented by trauma and consumed by his shadow and enraged. So he's all in dark. And then Tobey Maguire, the older Spider-Man, he has integrated his shadow. He's gone through all the things and more that they have. And his face is shown half lit, half in shadow. I didn't pick those on purpose, but when I had grabbed all those, I had looked, I had to look and look to find already cut out pictures. So yeah. it was kind of interesting that those were the only three I could find readily. And they ended up having that dynamic. Yes. Very it's, it's, Yes. Interesting too. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go, no, go ahead. Um, interesting too, that, that the Andrew Garfield, you know, Chance and I mentioned, you know, that I, I finally like Andrew Garfield. Like he's the best actor in this movie. I thought, um, but he's the he's the one that they've kind of like wanted to um erase from canon. You know, like he's he's the one that always got kind of the shit under the stick for reviews. And that it wasn't great. That uh, that uh Rhino was absolutely terrible. Um just even in concept being having a robot rhino yeah. as a yeah. he, terrible idea. He, I think he Oh, hold on. You're off chance. You're muted. It had that Rhino is a ultimate comic Spider-Man version of Rhino. So I kind of like it, but it's okay if you don't. <laughs> I think I'm they old school, man. I'm silver age. Yeah. I think they joke about it in the film. He like oh, kind of starts to self deprecate about, I got a stupid Rhino. And they're like, yeah. no, man, you're amazing. Don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> and they say he's amazing because his films are called Amazing Spider-Man. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, one thing, Chance, that, uh, you know, when you brought that forward with that graphic and the three different, uh, four, the three different lightings of the three different personas, that inspired in me um, to think of the there are three types of moons. There is a full moon, which is that well-lit uh, Spider-Man 1. There is a phasing moon, which would be Spider-Man 2, McGuire. And then there is the new moon, which is the uh, Garfield the dark. with all the shadow. And also 
those correspond as well with salt, mercury, and sulfur, the triune. And sulfur means burnt. So the sulfur I'm thinking would be the Garfield. Um, even, his suit is even torn up. Look. Yes. Burns and scorches and claw marks. And yep. The spider doesn't even, almost doesn't look like a spider on his chest. It almost looks like a, a bat or something winged. Mm. Oh, and, bats, yeah. huh? Like yeah. that uh, cooties vector. We'll talk right. about that. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, I'm thinking uh, Garfield or what we will probably call spider number three is. Uh, we salt. Just name them by their their actor name. That's the easiest way to do it. It is. Yeah. So uh, so I'm thinking he's sulfur. I'm thinking Maguire is um, more mercury. He's tra- transitional. The phasing moons swinging both ways, having two faces. Uh, and then. Uh, the the central one who's completely lit up, I think of him as salt. So we have the salt, mercury, and sulfur embodied by those three characters. Okay, I think maybe we should get into some of the images because we got a lot there. <laughs> nice. Oh, Wayne brought up the owl owl archetype. That does make an appearance in here, at least in one place. Okay, so I have grabbed for us screenshots that I found relevant throughout the film. I think I've got like, I don't know, 40 or 50. We'll do our best to get through them. Gabe has got some imagery too. So if you ever want to switch to one that you've got queued up, just let me know. And we're going to start the beginning of the film. Maybe, I mean, this is kind of going to entail a play-by-play of the plot. I I don't think it's important if you haven't seen the movie, honestly, that you go pause this and see it, unless you really want to. It's a superhero movie. They win in the end, right? (laughs) <laughs> a lot of the classic tropes are there. So you're not missing out if you don't go see it. It's not a terrible movie. It's entertaining. It's got a lot of good humor, but also just so much programming, especially for transhumanism. So but anyway, much. this first image is at the beginning of the film. This is MJ. And she is wearing a Joan of Arc shirt and her name in this universe as a parallel of alternate Mary Jane's she's actually Michelle Jones instead of Mary Jane and very it's very intentional that she's wearing a Joan of Arc shirt but why that is I maybe don't know other than to weave it back to this idea of confusing fiction with reality what is called a euhemism is where you apply mythological traits to a story about a historical figure And thus confuse the whole issue. And in a way, although we all know that superhero movies are fiction, if we are able to correlate characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe to people like Crowley, which we will later, then maybe this is kind of a wink and a nod or just a synchromistic expression from the imagination of all these people that created the movie, not realizing it, that characters like Crowley are just as fictional in terms of their biography as the superhero stories. Something like yep. that. But what do you think yeah. about the Joan of Arc t-shirt or this opening scene where she's just along with the rest of New York finding out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man because it's getting blasted on the news. Yeah. Well, one thing that I'm just now thinking of as we're talking about it is that Joan of Arc had uh, some sort of 
uh, daemon, a spiritual uh, source that she was tapped into. You're right. And and in her, in, she had her own yeah, personal Philemon, so to say. And in her biography, it says that once she had accomplished her mission in the in the field of battle and was, uh, you know, uh, had given up the uh, sacred sword, she had passed the sword on to her brothers. She lost all of her um, conquering spirit. And so uh, it's just something to think about that. Uh, Joan of Arc had that relationship with a with the spiritual side. She was compelled from be uh, from the unseen world, uh, and she ended up giving up that ability or that connection. And uh, our our uh, MJ, she ends up at the end when she's about to lose her memory. Not to jump too far ahead, but when she's going to give up her memory, she tells Peter, "I love you," and stops him from saying it back to her. Because it will be a trigger in her next lifetime when she loses her memory and she goes through a reset. If Peter Parker ever comes up to her and says, I love you too, it could potentially be the triggering phrase that awakens her to uh, bridge the arc of her past life to the present life, theoretically. It's very mind controlling. Very mind controlling. You got it. That trigger right there, that's called a mimetic device. They use it all the time. Thank you. You know, and this, uh, this gives, this weaves us into just a quick review of some of this graphic I've brought up before. Let's see. Can I do a, oh wait. Can I do a, I did, didn't I? Start it all over. But of course, you made your screen share. <laughs> All right. Um, this is from our uh, previous works and the uh, 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 Eternals. When we worked on the Eternals episode. Okay, here, I think I'm ready. Can you, so, can you make it big? Let's see. So we see here, though, that MK Ultra and MCU have gematrological connections here, big time. Yes, I'm not sure if I can make it any bigger. It's as big as it gets on my screen here. You can't click on the actual image. Let me see. No, no dice, huh? That's weird. Hmm. Should work. Um, okay. So. Uh, just to, this is just evidence that MCU Marvel Cinematic Universe corresponds very strongly with MKU uh, Mind Control Ultra program. Uh, the the numerological value of the le- of the letters are identical, um, and this is just something that I think is worthwhile to considering that you know we were just talking about mind control programming. Uh, it is absolutely integral to this conversation and will be going forward. So as much as like, you know, we love these, uh, uh, we love these movies. They're incredibly entertaining. You know, there is a lot of disclosure going on between the lines. 
And that is just something to think about that it, it is very duplicitous that it, you know, has these virtuous messages and, you know, lessons that sure we would expose our kids to and pass, pass it on, you know, with great power comes the need for great responsibility. That's, a, you know, that's, int- that's crucial to know, but this is military industrial complex, the M I C K E Y M O U S E club. And we are not in it. <laughs> military industrial complex, M I C. Okay. So to continue that theme, here's the next screenshot in the bank. This is later after Peter gets home and everyone knows who he is now. He is frantically shutting on the doors and closing the blinds so that nobody can see in the home what's going on outside. And so no one can see in the home. Kind of your first allusion to him desperately trying to return to the private, but his family and friends that are gathered here are completely oblivious to what's going on. There are thousands of people gathered outside the apartment. There are news helicopters right outside the window. And nobody knows what's going on until the TV tells them what's going on. This is your mind control right here. Uh-huh. They're oblivious, the truth in front of their face until it is given to them by the official source. Yeah. Even, even the, the moment when um, Mary Jane was identified by the crowd, you know, it's like they couldn't see her until they got the, the ability to see from their phone. Um, yeah, it was a very strong theme through the whole first couple minutes of that film. And then, oh, one other point, that moment when uh, Spider-Man says, what the, and they bleep out the F word. Right. That's a great honking. It's, it's blanked out by a honking sound of a vehicle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is, which is interesting that. to me. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. But, you know, I, um, you, t- you just called her by reflex- reflectively uh-huh. um, Mary Jane, because that's her name, right? That, that's all of our Spider-Man's oh, friend's right. name is Mary Jane. But this character is not Mary Jane. This Thank you. Michelle Jones. Thank because you. Another thing I want to come back to is the name changes. When they change the names of things and they. Yes. Wayne McCory, thank you very much for the Home Depot and Home Depot. They change, change little things like the spelling of Fruit Loops or the spelling of somebody's name. Like it's MJ, but it's not Mary Jane, you know? That's it's a really not good redhead anymore. Mandela effect hand. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yes. They're kind of signaling, they're telling you what they're doing and you're not right. really paying attention. Yeah, there's so much information in there. It's like there is correspondence enough that they're the same, but the, the also sussing out the distinguishing differences mm-hmm. uh, reveals many layers of insight, uh, maybe even shows intention. You know, Well, the old version of Mary Jane, the classics, he was all, go get him, tiger. And this right. Mary Jane is all Expect disappointment because then you'll never be disappointed. It's a definite inversion of the character's past optimistic, supportive element. I mean, she's supportive in this movie or whatever, but it's a very different MJ to be sure. Mm -hmm. 
It is not the Mary Jane that makes you feel all good. <laughs> right. Great point. It's maybe more of a pharmaceutical uh, replacement, you could say. <laughs> She's definitely the depressant. Nice. Yeah. Okay, good one. Now, here's another screenshot. So while they're watching the news, it shows a clip of Spider-Man getting slimed by somebody's slushy. But look at the color of the slushy. There, I don't know that there's any gas station in the world that has that shade of electric, artificial, neon, lime green. And it's coinciding with all the color imagery of the Daily Bugle, which we'll talk about a lot later. There'll be a chance for that. But this is really relevant. If anyone listens to Crow, I don't know if it's come up for a while, but I know Wayne will know what we're talking about. That whenever media wants to get everybody talking about one particular idea, particularly in the realm of things to having to do with pandemics. It's gone on for time immemorial, you know, with Ebola and Zika and all these things. They will make sure that this color, this unnatural green, is heavily shown in the news broadcast. And throughout the film, this color is constantly present, more like all the time. I know all the colors in the rainbow are constantly present, but I really noticed it when I was scanning through to get screenshots and I could have grabbed tons and tons of examples of where there's this prominent electric neon green. giving us Maybe this idea of toxicity. Nice. And he's going and he's going viral right now. He's going viral. That's that's bingo. That's a great point. Yes. It's like somebody sneezed on him, you know? Uh, So I have an example, if I can, uh, of when this, color of green has been used recently. You know, one is the yellow vest movement uh, over in France um, where those uh, people were protesting. But let's see. I also have pulled up the mediator from the presidential debates and she was wearing a bracelet. Let's see. She's wearing a bracelet that gives uh, her permission to be there because she's tested. She's been tested, so she has permission to be in the building. And so the fact that they associate this little wristband with with COVID, you know, is very, very profound to me. So, yeah, we have seen this unnatural green – and I put the capitalized the UN naturally United Nations agenda. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne just pointed out in the chat that he can't get the green out of his outfit once he's like infected, right? That this nice. definitely is a symbol for the illness, the multivirus. Yes. Which I have so much to say about the idea of the multivirus, but we'll get there. Great point. That's a brilliant point. Yeah. Okay, so that was the initiation of the viral. And even Mysterio, the character who causes all this mayhem, he's constantly shown with that type of green. You know, I remember noticing that when I was a kid with all the the Spider-Man villains. Because, uh, I mean, it's a a thing you design into the story. Like, you want your, um, your villains to contrast against your hero's suit right so you make so if you have a red white and blue a red and blue 
um, hero, you do opposite of the color wheel. You do a green or whatever, you know. You you make them sit apart from each other, like red, black hats and white hats, you know, except we got all the other colors. <clears throat> so if we're doing America, you know, we want the opposite. We're going to do those green, you know, um, or like, like Hulk um, villains. You'd have Hulk villains have the opposite. Like they like Hulk's big villain was uh, when Wolverine showed up blue and, and yellow, right? He wasn't yes. green, he was, but he was the combination of those colors. Blue I'm having a thought. Green. I'm having an amazing thought. What if it's when you take the colors of Ukraine and you blend them together, you get green. You get yuck green. Yuck That's green of the Ukraine. And that is going to be part of the color programming that uh, Chance and I stumbled upon uh, as we go get deeper into the movie. But yeah. I've been seeing the UK, UK, Ukraine gold and blue. Uh, I mean, we all have quite a bit lately, but it gets a lot of strategic placement towards the end of the movie. Once the scientists get together and they start uh Sciencing out the problem once uh, Deus Ex Mechina has been established. Something of a scientist myself, you know. You got it, man. Yes, the the, Green Goblin. Yes. So I think we're looking at the yuck green of Ukrainian colors coming together. Uh, That's great. That's fun. That's nice. But we'll we'll get into that later because it is kind of towards the end that the Ukraine colors are all part of the play, all part of the stage. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so moving forward, this is the point in the plot where they all get arrested by damage control for for Spider-Man's unlicensed vigilanteism. So... Which is DC. Damage control. It's DC. It definitely doesn't mean detective comics anymore. (laughs) Okay, so sorry. here is the interrogation scene where we firmly establish that in the theme of the public and the private, that the Mary Jane, I'm sorry, MJ, <laughs> Michelle Jones, she represents the private as the feminine side of yin and yang does in a spiritual sense as you compare it to law. So she is hesitant, not hesitant. She is refusing to answer any questions. <laughs> She's shot hesitant, but she won't speak to the guy without a lawyer. She knows all the things to say to disarm his interrogation. And then we get Ned, who immediately spills the beans as the the male, the yang, the public character. He is entrapped by his own glory seeking as Spider-Man's guy in the chair. And so throughout the movie, there are some other points that I picked up on that I'll I'll point out where one of his friends represents the public and one represents the private. And it's always MJ is the private and Ned is the public. And there's probably more about this scene that may be interesting. What do you guys think? Well, right off the bat, I see that in the the smaller cam down below, um, it looks like they, there's a, 
Yeah, there is. There's a the Ned is on the Oh, they're all in Ned's chamber in Ned's room there. All of those cameras, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Never mind. But yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's physiological. You know, the male is in the public. He's <laughs> he is external. The female, physiologically, internal, the private. I mean, it's uh, undeniable uh, fact of gender, the seventh hermetic principle. And they're sitting and they're sealed in a room. All of those have to do with that seventh hermetic principle, the seventh chakra uh, and being sealed off and being one boy, one girl, one public, one private. Yep. They seemed like uh, MJ was in more in the dark as well, like more in shadow. Mm, Because it seems like they set set her back a little bit more. They set him, this looks like the lighting is the same in the center of the room, but it looks like she's like sit back in the shadow just, just enough. It's a little bit more Mm -hmm. shaded. Let's see. Yeah, I could be wrong, but her hands are down. She's not open. Like, like when you're talking, Yeah, you know, she's her, her body posture is, is more, you know, I'm not talking, which, and that's the first thing they say when they see, they see, uh, Peter is don't talk without a lawyer. Right. You know, in one observation, the investigator takes a seat, a a relaxed recumbent position for, for MJ. And he, and he puffs up and towers over for Ned. So there's even that dichotomy of the the gender uh, good cop, bad cop from the same cop. What should you do? You're muted again, buddy. (laughs) Sometimes I meet myself on the screen and not on the mixer and I mix myself right up. But Brian pointed out that that green color is also so prominent in the Matrix films. It is the Matrix, which is language. And I'm glad we're saying that because we have a few points I'm sure to make about Twilight language as it is kind of hinted at in this film through objects in the background scenery. Yes. Green speak. Green speak. Yeah, exactly. The green language, language of the birds. Okay. So here's another screenshot coming at you. This is where. They've lawyered up with Matt Murdock, Daredevil, and he's warning them that he may be able to get them out of trouble in the legal sense, but they will still be tried by the court of public opinion. And I thought that was a really profound statement. And then right at that point, uh, someone throws a brick through the window and the blind man catches it. But the court of public opinion, is that not where... Russia has been crucified recently. Hmm. Bingo. Ukraine thing. Yes. Really interesting. And also the hesitant who don't want to be fixed. They don't want the multivirus fix that we all know what I'm alluding to. Those uh, rape, rape needles. Does you, does YouTube know that phrase? (laughs) 
I should just stick with, I should just stick with cowpoke. I don't think they're onto that one. <laughs> yeah, but this I, was this was an interesting scene. I noticed that they did a very uh, a very detail oriented job of portraying the brick, uh, the shadow of the brick flying even before it hits the window. So the viewer uh, almost it's as though our reflexes are tested uh, that they uh, telegraph the projection coming through the window before you hear the, sh- the window break. Uh, so just an observation. And what does the brick say on it? I don't remember now. We, mis- oh, we, we believe uh, Mysterio was Mysterio. right or something like that. Yeah. Was, we believe yeah, Mysterio. Good. Right, yep, exactly. that's it. Yeah. I could scan around and find it in the Believing film here, the but it's probably not worth it. We believe the illusion. Yeah. Right. right. In other words. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that is. They throw they throw stones at people that are not hypnotized. Right. <clears throat> and the ones right. that have broken the spell, they're not the ones throwing bricks in people's windows. You notice. Yeah. Great point. Freemasonry. Incoming hey. Freemasonry. Hey, that's good. Uh, we're yeah. already thinking about masonry, but we haven't mentioned it yet, but Peter Parker is May's son. He's a May son. Hmm. Yep. There's some, there's some hints to that as we go. I mean, just as a symbol, I mean, not that he's literally in a secret society, but he is in a secret society <laughs> called the Avengers. And, you know, even his group with his friends, he's, he's hanging out with wizards. He's a Mason. Yo. <laughs> Dude, we all hang out with wizards. Come on. <laughs> Joshua just pointed out, didn't Mysterio reveal Spider-Man's shim? And yeah, it's his name, right? It's a great name. Hmm. I wonder if Joshua has more. More yeah. to catch on that. Oh, well, that, you know that, what? Let's talk about real quick because yeah. I had you check out some of my Spider Verse mm-hmm. comics today, mm-hmm. and you had a really good point. Okay, so without too much backstory, there's a comic series called Spider Verse where the multiversal versions of Spider Man have to come together to fight interdimensional spider vampires that feed on Spider Man specifically. Oh, right. It's an awesome, it's actually really awesome comic arc. And this family of vampires, they all dress like Victorian era people. And Gabe was looking at the first issue that shows them. And they've all got, even the women, they all have extremely pronounced widow's peaks in their hairline. And I was like, nice catch, man. And yeah, he is a widow's son too. Peter is because Ben is gone. Although in this universe, he's not. He not, he does. There's no father figure at all. There's no Uncle Ben in existence. That's been Mandela affected out. Right. Hmm. Right. Wow. I I hadn't even ever thought of the Widow's Peak being a Masonic thing. I well, mean, maybe not literally, but it's a hint. Well, symbol I mean, symbolically. It's right. Uh, but it could be a, referring to bloodlines. I can yeah, have that, a pretty good. That Widow's could Peak. definitely more because of, yeah. I mean that's. That was kind of started by Dracula. It was the it's Dracula a vampire. Yes. Yeah. Yep. A vampiric indicator for sure. Right. And, you know, kind of riffing off what Joshua brought there about 
exposing his Shem. Uh, that is crucial because his Shem is his name. Shem rhymes with shame. Uh, uh, so, uh, also, a Shemesh, I believe, is a prop. Um, but it makes Peter want to put the mask back on. It gives, it initiates the whole audience into thinking, oh, his Shem has been revealed. Now, if he could only put the mask back on it, and that is what gets him into the entire problem of messing with the fabric of reality. And uh, Dr. Strange actually says, you asked me to brainwash the world before you went and tried to fix your problems in a mundane way. Mm -hmm. And so it's Mm -hmm. just interesting that the solution to uh, having the Shem exposed, the name exposed, the solution is to hide behind a mask again. If only this mask worked, my mask isn't working like it used to. And now I need to go brainwash the world uh, so that the mask can have its power back. Yeah. And it's, oh man, it is so sneaky. It is like getting the viewer who is suspending their disbelief to accept that the solution to brainwash the world is a good idea and is moral and okay because... Because it's for the hero. It's for Spider-Man. He's the good guy. Right. You don't think twice about it. This is my first time making putting two and two together. That, yeah, this, they so sneakily make that horrific concept, brainwash the world, into the, like, totally okay. That's, the, that's what we're doing. Let's go. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Like, they're, they're saying, hey, guys, listen. When, when they get called out, be like, look, look, look. No, 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 no. We did this for your own good. We we lied to you for your own good because you're too stupid to figure, you know, you're too dumb to govern yourselves, you little fucking monkeys. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Mask off. Yes. Yes. And uh, I'll tr- try to riff this out very quickly. Very quickly. Wait, before you do, I'm just a quick yeah, yeah. even quicker. Mm-hmm. The next screenshot, since we were talking about him being a May son, just happens yeah. to be when they're moving into... Happy's apartment. I uh-huh. grabbed the screenshot just because there's a particular jersey on the wall that happens to be thirty-three. Number thirty-three. Not an evil number, anybody, the- but it's giving you a clue, I think, that synchronistically that this happened to be my next screenshot when we got into the masonry idea. Is the other Very- one a New York Islanders, right? Is that an Islanders jer- jersey? Yeah. I don't oh, know. Yep. Not a hockey oh. guy. That's New York Islanders. Interesting. So we got a jersey. We're talking about New York. We got the 33 is on the stairs of Ascension. Incredibly Masonic. Yes. And a basketball goal. Is it baseball or basketball or both that were invented by Masons? Well, uh, I know baseball uh, definitely is alleged to be. Right. And it's it's also... uh, it's a it's a ritual for Bastet. It's Bastet ball. Bastet's uh, Egyptian name is she who has her hand in the ointment jar. And so when you're slam dunking the ball into the into the basket, that's uh, that's all ritual for Bastet for sure. Well, check out this comment. Masons are instructed to protect mm-hmm. widows and orphans. So Spider-Man is an operative Mason in practice. 
It's a really Ooh, good observation, oh. Joshua. That's very and good. Yeah. It also makes me think of the independent order of odd fellows or even instructed to like teach as well. Yeah. Odd fellows are like the, the next level deep in the secret societies. So there, anyway, Gabe, I, I said it would be quick, but apparently there was a lot to get into. All, no, this is good. This is all very good. So just a quick uh, run through of, uh, of history with Carl Jung would brag and boast that he was related to uh, uh, Gotha, or how do you pronounce it, Chance? Goethe. 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 Whoever it is that wrote uh, Faust, the story of Faust, which was then put into theatrical production and proliferated for a very long time. Um, But he believed he was related to that author. And that author often centered a lot of his witchiness around Mount Brocken. And people can look up Mount Brocken. It is a mountain in Germany where they put the very first broadcasting tower in place to uh, to broadcast the first World Olympics firsts. All of these firsts, they love firsts. It's all about that first initiation, the offering, the first fruit. Uh, they're all about that. So uh, Mount Brocken was the first TV tower that broadcast the Olympics live in, I forget, 34, 1934 maybe. Um, but what is really powerful about that is that the old mythology of Mount Brocken was that you could stand there as the sun went down behind you and it would broadcast your shadow onto the clouds in the valley below and make you into a larger-than-life giant, just like Plato's wall, Plato's cave. So the metaphor for Plato's cave, thank you, Chance, nice. Is yeah, this is the Brocken, Brocken Spectre. Brocken Spectre. It's all centered in this location where the first uh, broadcasting was was literally performed ritualistically with the Olympics, and it all ties into Carl Jung's bloodline, and he believes that he was related to the author who proliferated this, the magic of this location. So that is, uh, there's way more to say, but that's just a surface level peak. At wow. Oh, and we've been talking a lot about color symbolism. Uh-huh. And Goethe, one of his most famous things that he researched or wrote about was color theory that went beyond the current thinking of the time. Nice. Nice. I'm loving that. Uh, oh, and then to bring Carl Jung into modern influence and proliferation in the States, Carl Jung was called in by Alan Dulles to be a major uh, advisor, military advisor on the psychological profile of Hitler and his minions, uh, allegedly. And in doing so, uh, having Carl Jung as an advisor to Alan Dulles, founder of the CIA, there's your first. He was the first uh, commander of the CIA. Uh, Dulles gave Carl Jung an agent number. Carl Jung was uh, spy number uh, 488. So 488 is a Carl Jung call sign as his agent connection to the United States. And one last thing just to bring it all together, because this is so much fun. Uh, spider. Hold on. 
Hold oh, on. Yeah. 488 hertz is the frequency for, I, I can't remember which, but it is one that actually matches straight to the uh, chakras and solar in the harmonic set. I don't oh my god! Which one it is? I will look that up. I don't remember which it is, but I will. Find okay. Out. Well, uh, I'm gonna. Can I do a quick screen share? I think I know what I was doing wrong before. Let me try again. Uh, okay, maybe I botched that. Maybe it's not. It's 480 that is the sacral, but it probably corresponds to something. The to the crown chakra, right? Oh, you're right. Crown no, 488 is crown chakra. It 100 percent is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Did I do this right? Not yet. Not yet. Sorry, I'm so I'm a few screens away. I got myself lost in all the tabs. <laughs> okay, so you're not yeah. up yet, but do it yeah. again, and I'll get you there. Food and energy. Sweet action. You got me on camera with food in my teeth. That was awesome. Nice. <laughs> Sweet. There's a oh, first. They're talking about in the Rockovin chat things being under a dome. Okay, so now that we're talking about the crown chakra, there is scenery in the end of the film where the multiverse is cracking open the firmament is breaking and all this purple crown energy color is seeping through the cracks in the dome oh That's yes fun. towards the end for There's sure definitely some firmament flat earth yes. reveal there so okay, i'll bring you up now nice call is that is that working oh yeah 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 Okay, so I've done uh, tarot, uh, major correspondence, uh, excuse me, uh, the major arcana of the tarot correspondence to all of the Avenger films. And it's a no-brainer with Peter Parker here. He's absolutely the hanged man. Um, Let's see. Uh, Doctor Strange is absolutely the magician, the magi. But here's another. Can you guys see this one? Right. He's resting. Yeah, reverse hangman. Well, Well, yeah, he's kind of in in this shot. Yeah, he's a reversal hangman. That's a good point. He's got the leg cross, and he even has the book illuminating his crown. And that I think of that in the hangman sense. That's his spidey senses. That's Spider Man's spidey senses. Mm -hmm. Also, the book is a chemistry book, and he's you know, yeah, chemistry moment with in the private here, right. And that's kind of uh, some people would tell someone who has natural spidey senses that they have a chemical imbalance or you're just paranoid. You must have a chemical imbalance. Well, if you think you're talking to yourself, you're talking uh-huh. to two other versions of yourself. You're definitely need to be medicated. Right. 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 Oh, and then you said all that because the hanged man uh-huh. in the divinatory sense can represent bad medication, mm. getting a, getting wow. bad medical advice or becoming ill at the hands of a practitioner of so-called medicine. That's literally a meaning of the hanged man. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Uh, oh man, which way to go from here? There's so much to laid out. Uh, so <laughs> starting to really get this web is starting to get pretty sticky. Yes. Well, <laughs> so uh, Oscorp, uh, uh, Osborne, the, who is the goblin, his company name is Oscorp, which you just move the O to the end of the word Oscorp and you get Scorpo. And so he is Scorpio and Hanged Man is in the uh, in the station of Scorpio. And 
there are two tarot cards in Scorpio, the hanged man and the death card. And wouldn't you know, it's going to come into play later, big time, what you just weaved. Yes. That kiss of betrayal is, uh, is, is central to what the green goblin is going to embody going forward in, uh, in the film. Uh, yeah, that kiss of betrayal and the Scorpio station. Uh, we being got October. Got a little ahead of ourselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Man, I didn't get any screenshots of this. Oh, yeah, I think I did. There are Halloween decorations in a scene not oh, far from yeah. now. Scorpio, October. October, Halloween, right there in Scorpio. Thank you for bringing that up, uh, Chance. I noticed um, in that scene, so the, we're talking about the donut shop, and they make the owner makes a big deal about MJ not taking down the Halloween decorations. And I was like, why is that a big deal? Because clearly it's a, it's a big deal. It's, they don't throw these little things into these scripts without putting a lot of thought into these. Um, you know, why is it Halloween? Why is it, you know? Um, see the, if, see the uh, green, the kind of gross green, and then the Ukraine colors too? Yeah, green. Yeah, the Ned is wearing the golden blue, yellow and blue. Um, the friend, his buddy, right. his comrade, his ally. Go ahead. So if you look in the, at the decorations, they're not they're You know, you think of Halloween decorations as they always have like a, a Frankenstein and a vampire and a mummy and then a witch, right? All of these are witches. If if you look into the, there you go. Yeah. And even the vampires and the lights up there have witch hats. They're not. And in the background, those aren't Frankenstein heads. Those are, those are witch heads. Mm-hmm. And there's all on the other wall, there's um, black cats. So there's not, I mean, it's traditional Halloween, but it's not, mm-hmm. it's talking about the magicians. The right. That's magicians. what gives, that's where Peter gets the idea to go see Dr. Strange. Mm-hmm. He's sitting in there thinking, oh, what do I do now that none of us got into MIT? And he looks at the decorations and he's like, oh, I know a witch. Yeah. And then he goes off to see Dr. Strange. Good exactly. call. Okay, we got a little ahead of the plot in terms of a couple of the screenshots I have. So let's back up a little. Yes. Yes. Peter goes to his high school and he's, you know, mobbed by all the people that now know who he is. Look but who's there's a the scene where he's talking to his teachers and principals, or his principal. And we don't have to get into all that entailed, but this mural behind him really stuck out, especially because I was doing a little bit of looking into murals and uh, man, this is funny. Okay. Let, let's just like weave it all the way back. You were, you're here right now, Gabriel in my house, which is awesome. And we've been doing all kinds of adventures and in the chat, we have Sunseed, who is Rachel. She was with us yesterday. We went to the park by my house and I showed you guys the, the walk of propaganda. <laughs> There are all these plaques in the ground, almost like tombstones of various key figures in propaganda history across all parts of the spectrum, like Rosa Parks and, you know, scientist characters and the Roosevelt presidents and just the really key crucial people whose story is important to embodying the American mythos. And 
one of the names that was on these mini plaques was a, I can't remember the name now, but was an artist who was a mural painter who painted murals like this. If you've ever been to a city hall building somewhere in any Americana locale, you might see a historical mural that shows you like the history of the relations of the settlers to the natives and things like that. I always think of the show Parks and Rec where they had these horrific murals on the wall where the, <laughs> yeah. like really bad stuff is happening, but it's like painted to be all glorious and historical. So this is one of those murals that is showing you the mythology of scientism, which is a key part of this movie, the programming of the belief and faith in scientism above and beyond what is logical or rational to believe is possible and deep into the magical, magical science. So I'm sure Gabe has some thoughts on the characters that are on the wall here. Yes. Um, one thing that first and foremost is we have an integration of true, actual historical characters and Marvel fictional characters. So this is a tapestry, a woven tapestry of truth and fiction coming in and out uh, together. And they intentionally express some of their uh, their diametric opposition by uh, through placement on this mural. So you will see that um, Stark's father, Howard Stark, I believe is his name. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Howard Stark is over uh, uh, Peter Parker's shoulder there. He's the one most prominent right uh, there by the window. And his uh, nemesis in the fiction of the storyline of Marvel was um, Pym, uh, Dr. Pym. And yeah, that Hank. is Hank. Hank Pym. Thank you. And he is the one who is all over the left shoulder on the opposite side of that window. So they are in opposition of each other. And the window is very much like a checkerboard floor. So we've got the black and white duality kind of thing going on big time. But that is not is it where Nelson Mandela under Howard Stark, though. That's what I want to know. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Chat's got to know it's. It's Maybe not, somebody could help us out. I don't think that's who I that really is. But to be. I know that would be cool. That would be <laughs> super cool. But just another point is we have Einstein over there on that, I guess, right side of the screen. And his uh, somebody who he did not get along with well was Tesla, who is over on the left hand side. So we have the uh, these opponents uh, placed in oppositional positions to one another. And there is so much more that is just barely getting into the nitty gritty of what is being shown here. But um, one point is, do you see the vial, the red vial floating in space next to uh, Howard Stark? That's one of Pym's inventions. Oh, Pym's vial is over by his opponent. His opponent is looking at the property, the intellectual property of Hank Pym. So that kind of is, uh, I think, is indicating that you think you, you would want to blame Pym for his invention, but it got into the wrong hands and it still has his name on it, but somebody else is using what he uh, created. 
I think and, it reflects the rivalry between Edison and Tesla personally. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that comes up so many times. Like we were talking about chance with like Hegel, you know, people, uh, label things. Oh, that's Hegelian. Therefore, Hegel must be the asshole. But, you know, not necessarily. People just take these wonderful works of people's life, life effort and put a twist on it with their agenda and leave the name to absorb all the animosity. That happens all the time. Yeah, I'm glad we paused on that. Mm. I'm sure the chat has a lot of thoughts and maybe can help us crowdsource who that Nelson Mandela is the fact that it makes us think of Mandela. I feel like (laughs) that's at least got to count for something. Now, I guess I'll pop over. We already covered this, the hanged man symbol, and she's reading in the news, all the propaganda against him. Okay. So here they're having a private moment. They're about to maybe get romantic. And then here comes Ned, the public barging in to their private moment. I just wanted to point that out as a continuation of the public private dichotomy between MJ and Ned. Also the graffiti is all, it's just green. And what is it? Green and blue. Oh yeah. Chance. You had a thought on that. Yeah. To me, the G Hane, G H A N E. I really thought it reminded me of Jizz Lane. (laughs) G Lane. Wow. I don't know. Because that H, the way that the leg comes over, almost look, makes it look as an L. Like a backwards L, yeah. Yeah, and that was a major trial where the, the, she was on trial in the courts, but, you know, the public opinion didn't really affect the outcome, right? Yeah. The, uh, GH is uh, mercury in my eyes. Uh, that's something to think about. GHHG. Yeah. GH and HG. Yeah. Nice. All right. You let her rip on this one there, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. He goes to ask the wizard for help to brainwash the world. Although he doesn't know that's what he's asking for. Originally he wants to ask the wizard to use the time travel powers to save him. Which is also yep. equally irresponsible. <laughs> and there, that time stone is the green stone, as Rachel pointed out in the chat. Excellent. The uh, alchemical green stone. Okay, so this this uh, moment in the film, when I was watching it in the theater, uh, brought a, a, what I think is a pretty powerful epiphany, a moment of epiphany for me. And this is where I finally think I have placed a historical persona uh, onto Dr. Strange. And I believe, so this is the moment where Dr. Strange, he, uh, they, they come down the stairs. Uh, I think he floats down the stairs, but when he lands. Yeah, he floats. Yeah, but when he lands, he has a little slip. His footing, his footing is lost. So he, uh, don't forget the cape, the the carpet, the rug is what carries him down the stairs. Right, with his magical cape powers. So in that moment, it dawns on me that I believe that Aleister Crowley is being uh, expressed in the fictional character of Doctor Strange, and in so many ways. But I'm sure when, we'll find out when the Multiverse of Madness comes out. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that yeah. Strange movie. 
Yes. So there are many things to say about this theory, uh, but I will try to be very brief uh, so we can move forward. Um, but uh, one of the many legends of Aleister Crowley's life has to do with his relationship with William Yates, the, the poet. Uh, and actually, I wish I had pulled up some of the, but there was a what's called uh the Battle of the Blythe incident where uh, Crowley uh, basically uh, breaks into one of the uh, magical uh, headquarters and has a confrontation with Yates. And it is said that Yates kicked Crowley down the stairs. Hmm. And so Crowley has a, uh, a reputation of not having the best of luck with stairs. Uh, and that myth has actually been expanded, and there are many uh, versions of it, a lot of euhemism, uh, euhemology going on with that myth. Uh, I have actually heard variations where somebody pulled, he was standing at the top of the stairs, and they pulled the rug out from under him so that he fell down the stairs. Uh, but I think the most believable one is that there was a physical altercation and he was uh, pushed down the stairs, maybe kicked. Um, think about if the rug got pulled out from under him, how that correlates to the, the cape carrying him down the stairs in this scene. Yes. And it happened in the original Dr. Strange. He was in a fight with a guy uh, uh, with that, uh, the, I forget the guy, his other nemesis from the original, and he gets thrown over the banister and goes falling down in the stairwell, and the cape shoots down and catches him. And that's his defining moment. That's his resurrection scene. He rises gloriously back into sight, and he has the Christ posture and everything. And that scene is very memorable, as is the mythology that Crowley was kicked down the stairs by Yates. Uh, hmm. so th- there are many other things to reinforce that theory, but I just thought I would bring it forward here because this was the moment when it dawned on me in the movie theater where I'm like, well, of course, Crowley is absolutely, uh, so Alice Stir, S-T-R, Alice Stir, and Dr. Strange. And I did the gematria for Dr. Strange. Maybe it was Dr. Stephen Strange. And it came to a it reduces to a one, and also uh, Alistair Crowley, uh, the Garmatria reduced down to a one. So there is uh, there's a lot more to say about that. Maybe I'll bring it up on my channel and uh, give the extended version of that theory. But I'm just going to put that forward there. And just so everybody knows, I believe that Alistair Crowley, much like we said of Hegel. You know, they took somebody's body of work and they just piled on mythology on top of mythology until the actual factual events and of what really happened are just lost to people's imagination over time. Well, I was I've been thinking about that this whole time when we were talking about the name changes and stuff. I was, you know, reading up on Hermes and Crowley got a name change. It was Alistair Crowley, and now it's Aliester Crowley. They added an I. Oh, yeah, that's right. Huh? It just now is everywhere with an I. Kind yeah. of considered a Mandela effect of its own. Amazing. Like, how, I mean, 
I mean, I guess we kind of do that. Like I go by a nickname. I mean, Gordy isn't my full real first name. It's Gordon. But, you know, it kind of, it does affect how people treat you also, you know, it's Mm -hmm. much more casual. It's not as formal. And so people treat you differently. So I imagine if I put a, put a I or started changing the spelling, uh, alias dare. Oh, yes. Or if you put fancy ass pants. Yeah, man. Yep. Or if you put DR period in front of Gordy. Dr. Gordy. Dr. Gordy. That would change everything. Oh, Gabriel. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. In the realm. I like to say in the world of subtle energies, the slightest alteration has the most monumental uh, effect. So Ginny B pointed out that the guy that we were saying might be Mandela was maybe George Washington Carver. Oh, probably. I think he was on the plaque of propaganda stories uh, in the park that we went to. Nice, Ginny. The the Ant-Man is standing on his head. You look at the, you're you're talking about the, the pin particle, the vial of the pin particles is right next to the little tiny man that's the ant man yeah there you go he's standing on his head and howard's staring at it he's not staring at the like all the other eyes are staring at you howard howard's eyes are staring at the thing in front of him good point it's a really weird effect actually really weird effect sorry i I just caught that so that's good that is that's really good yeah, and so you really do see that slip at the bottom of the stairs uh, quite clearly. Mm-hmm. And then he's the fixer of this story. To go back to that word fix, that is so important. And let's see here. He's holding a mug Yeah, that says, oh, for fox sake, fox fix. <laughs> what can we say about the fox? Which is also the, the trickster. Fox is always known as being sly as, you know. And what did yes. you say, Gabriel? It was I believe it's a Jesuit. Oh, yep. you chance, yeah. Yep, it's a Jesuit totem for sure. They are the foxes. Another point is uh like you said, trickster. A trickster and the uh the fool card falls, is falling off the cliff. He almost fell when he came down and had the slip. And also, uh, uh, OX is an ox, which is an initiation in and of its own right, because Aleph, the first letter, means ox. I think Fehu might mean ox. Um, So you have F for Fehu, ox, uh, all initiation symbols. uh, Yeah, for sure. There's so much... Uh, just in that, yeah, it means like sheep or cattle. So an ox could okay. kind of fit in there for sure. Okay, nice. Yeah, so an initiation, and that's what is about to happen to Peter Parker. Peter Parker is about to get uh, fast tracked uh, through the initiation rituals that uh, that Doctor Strange went through, um, which I think we'll be getting into in the next couple scenes here. Yeah, really interesting that they 
you know, the animal totems they chose right there, huh? What are, what do you think those are, fellas? I see an elephant, you know, because mm-hmm. we're dealing with memory here. Makes sense. He's trying All to right. cast a spell to make the world forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. This is a ram, ram. I think. Nice. And here's the crown again, the amethyst, crown chakra. And I think that's an owl, and that looks like an egg, if I had to guess. Right. So so these are, so the the elephant is blowing a horn and has horns. That's the shofar of initiation. Also, the ram is a symbol of initiation for the spring equinox. Uh, The owl, Athena, the astrega, the strategist of the astregas, uh, and the egg. And owls do have to do magically with concealment and secrets because they can see in the dark. So the owl totem has to do with seeing the unseen. And in this context, it's like putting something back into the realm of the unseen or the unknown. Nice. Nice. And uh, also 360 degree perspective because their heads spin. It's a flat earth model too. I'm just saying. It's a flat earth reveal because this is the spell that goes haywire and cracks the dome later with this purple crown energy leaking through. And there's the egg in the background, though. The dome dome being the shell of the egg, metaphorically, the cosmic egg. Nice. I dig it. I totally dig it. Um, It's even got like platforms, the way the Ben-Ben is described, which is the plane of the realm by the Egyptians. It's got these stair steps here. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Wow. So, yeah, Spider-Man is about to change his mind five times on what he wants the spell to be. Uh, Or actually, correction. Oh, yeah, five times. He adds five different uh, stipulations to the spell. And uh, Dr. Strange tells him, you just made me change it six times. And there's this, you know, very brief uh, uh, disagreement uh, to who sees who sees it what way. Spider-Man sees it as five. Strange is thinking six. And uh, they point out that Dr. Strange had to make an exception for himself and Wong. Because Wong said, leave me out of this when he left the uh, sanctum. So uh, Strange had to leave himself and Wong out of the spell also. So for the Magi, it was six, but for the Initiate, it was five. And that's very interesting because we know that they like to mislead the Initiate ever so slightly uh, so that they don't come become the master too fast. I got something for you. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to like this, buddy. Okay, so... There's a scene, we've probably already passed it, I didn't grab a screenshot of it, but we're in the background of Peter's belongings. There is a book about anagrams, right? Can you recall what the name of that book was or similar name? Yep, I can pull it up. It is, let's see. Let's see. This is the green language thing again, because anagramming is a encoding methodology for green language and twilight speak. So either way, like find out what that is, but it is pointed out in another scene later, which I have a screenshot of that. That is an important idea. Here it is. Alistair Crowley is an anagram for 
cereal, sir, owls. But when I say sir, I mean tire, T-Y-R-E, just pronounced sir. It's the rock, the Lord. Yes. That's what it means. And so you have cereal, cerise, the goddess, which we see as Columbia. We see the Statue of Liberty later in the film. Yeah. The rock, like that amethyst that's there, the crown. Yeah. The crown, the Lord, the most high, and then owls. Yes. And we saw owls in that spell. Yes. Uh, Cereal, sir, owls. Right. And cereal means harvest. And it also relates to ritual, uh, rituals of purity. Yeah, man, that's a that's a good anagram. So I pulled up the book here. If if you can share me. Is it working this time? Yep. Yeah, we're looking at it. Nice. Ultimate anagram puzzle book. And uh, that comes into play a couple times as we go forward. There were quite a few. uh, There were anagrams on some of the license plates when he fights Doc Ock. uh, One of which. The enemy of the spider, too. Wayne just put that in the chat. I've been sleeping on the rocking chat because I can't look at both of things at the same time, but whoa. Excellent. What what was it? The owl's the enemy of the spider. Athena nice. Athena punishes oh, Arachne. Right, right, right. Bohemian gro- right. Grove. Yeah. Leaving spiders come not here. Nice. So yeah, the uh anagrams come up a couple times uh through the movie, but I'll just point out that was a very fast shot in the film it was while the they had been arrested that was the police taking uh f- capturing evidence of their private of their bedroom of the ultimate privacy the police go in and start snapping these pictures in a quick flash of a series of pictures that anagram is shown to the audience as a you know a little slight reveal tip of the hand it yeah, also inc- a little later you have this green box when they're exploring uh-huh. the wizard's dungeon, the undercroft, the yeah. underworld that the owls are the guardian of. Word Yahtzee. Word Yahtzee. The anagrammy green language, green box, if you will. Yes. Yes. Uh, one, uh, so one of the license plates during the fight scene had an anagram in the license plate that said could be rearranged to spell out spiders, plural. Right, the fight uh, scene with so Dr. Octopus, which is next here. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, so anagrams will kind of come up later, uh, but it is definitely flashing to us that that is an art form that we should all uh, keep in our tackle box, so to say. Um, one thing I want to point out, too, I, I just want to put it out there in case anybody knows and has, like, a huge collection of Star Wars figures, that if whatever that uh, Star Wars action figure is I'm thinking uh-huh. of Hawkins um, from the original movie who is the mm-hmm. if you you remember um, the first Star Wars Porkins is the big guy the pilot who smashes his plane into the or his his fighter into the Death Star he's like uh-huh. the first one to get sacrificed oh nice nice so I, I'm just I'm you know just keep yes. an eye out for Ned's character if he's going to be sacrificed of some, because they're they're clearly correlating Porky right, right. Ned now. 
Nice. And, and uh, Chris pointed out the the fact that in the comics, Ned is one of the hobgoblins that happen. You know, the hobgoblin mantle goes to many characters, but he wears instead of green, he wears like blue and yellow and orange. Boom! Wow! Boom! I did not. Great. Know Thank you, Chris. Great detail. That's a great detail. Nice. So one thing that uh, foreshadow it later later in the movie when. Yes. Toby McGuire's like, my best friend, I, my, my best friend died in my arms after he tried to kill me. And Ned's like, oh shit, is that what my fate is as Spider-Man's yeah. best friend in this universe? Yep. Yep. So uh, one point from the film is that in the earlier Spider-Man, Ned drops the Death Star when he finds out that Peter is Spider-Man. Initiation. At the initiation, at the, the revelation of the fact that his best buddy is Spider-Man, he drops the Death Star and the Death Star gets destroyed. In this film, the Death Star is being put together by the robotic arm that Tony Stark, uh, that Happy is connected to. Uh, Gra- Grabby, I think its name is Grabby. And Grabby is putting the Death Star together, and there's a scene where the Death Star rolls off the table and it gets destroyed a second time. Well, that is highlighting the fact that the Death Star is destroyed twice in Star Wars, which mm-hmm. highlights the fact that there were two towers on 9-11. Hmm. Predictive programming through and through all the way back to Star Wars. Just pointing That's that out. Interesting weave. <laughs> Okay, so let's jump ahead. He's fighting Dr. Octopus. This is the first of the multiversal villains to come through. And this is the point in the analysis where we return to the... the it took us a while to get back to this, but the theme that the villains represent variants, or as I like to call scariants, <laughs> Delta, Omicron, whatever, Omega strain. So Doc Ock, he represents the... Uh, viral vector of injection. The fact that some of the sickness that we see in the world that is attributed to cooties is in the cure itself coming from the doctor, Dr. Octo. And here's this big cowpoke ready to administer. Yes, this is uh this is probably one of the most important aspects of the revelation of the method that this film uh, encodes, I guess, uh, in a major way. But uh, yeah, Dr. Octavius, uh, this is an initiation of sorts because this is the first time this Peter Parker has met this enemy. Uh, while we as the viewers are, are familiar with them, we have to remember that there, uh, this is an alternate universe interfacing with, uh, with the new universe. And so this is an initiation battle of sorts. And Doc Ock has been Mandela affected himself because he's like, you're not the Peter Parker I know. Right. And Chance, should I go into the UPS truck? Yeah, I didn't get a screenshot of it, but we should. But let's back up and hold Uh that. So he defeats Dr. Octopus because Doc Ock tries to stab him and uh, knocks a hunk of Peter's suit off. And they show this in the Iron Man movies and in the Spider-Man movies and in Black Panther and lots of the Marvel movies right now. This idea of nanotechnology mm-hmm. being what creates the superhero suit. And it is so stupid. <laughs> <It's> so stupid. <laughs> like uh, the snap of a finger 
the suit completely disappears and now Peter's wearing his tuxedo or whatever, you know, they can take their helmet off with apparently a thought because they're not even like pressing a button anywhere. The helmet just goes and like melts away. And this is the magic of science. This is our transhumanist future, this miraculous nanotechnology. So another dumb thing here is that after a suit gets a hunk knocked off of it, the nanoparts like replicate themselves and attach themselves to Dr. Octopus's arms and turn the arms from gunmetal gray to red. And then Spider-Man is able to control the arms now, like with a Bluetooth connection. And that's how he defeats him. But right. it is it's so, a- so stupid. The stuff that they expect us to believe is like futurism about yes. these superhero abilities with their technology. Yes. The nanobots spread like a virus from contact. That's it's, a good point. Yep. Mm-hmm. And also nano, nano, nano means you don't know. Nay, no. You, you know, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> and we definitely don't know that nanobots are uh, functional in the way that they're depicted. Well, they hinted at, hint at it in uh, the Ant-Man stuff, too. Right. It's, yep. It's a big all part of all, the, all, the, all the show business, all fiction, all fiction. It's all and we fiction just saw people. the uh, whole October theme, too, and Octavius is the first villain we get. And that's a Mercury thing, too, that Wayne pointed out. It's Auto Octavius. It's 8-8, eight, 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 eight miles Excellent. per hour. You know, Excellent. transition dimensions. But That's yeah, excellent. Such huge, ridiculous transhumanist propaganda in the whole nano thing. Yeah. So I'll just I'll try to be quick. But the uh, the first blow, the first blood uh, that is drawn in the battle between Octavius and Spider Man, Octavius throws him against a car, uh, uh, and then picks him up and launches him through a street sign, a road sign. He breaks through the road sign and then he uh, penetrates into a UPS truck. And there is actually two UPS trucks flashed in the scene. One uh, as he's throwing Peter uh, just to the side of Octavius. And then Peter flies through the windshield of the second UPS truck uh, and disappears. uh, uh, And that for me uh, brought forward a very interesting headline from about a year and a half ago where uh, in in the news uh, they put out an article in Associated Press uh, basically accusing all other delivery companies except they listed like three or four delivery companies, UPS, FedEx, uh, these companies, but they did not list Amazon trucks. They excluded Amazon trucks from this, from the limelight, this limelight uh, and they said there are too many trucks on the roads and it's black, blocking up traffic in cities because so many people are leaning into this new industry of delivery services uh, that it's problematic and that it's causing real issue in, in many, many towns. So they put a shady light on everybody except for Amazon trucks. And that same week that that headline hit everybody's consciousness, there was a huge uh, UPS jacking where uh, thieves, multiple thieves, uh, tied up a uh, UPS driver 
and it was his first day on the job. So he's a virgin sacrifice. They tie him up and use him as a human shield, and they go on a rampage through the city, like uh, uh, knocking all the cars out of the way. So, Which is uh, reflected in that scene with Otto destroying yep. a bunch of cars. Yes. And then the UPS driver who was put in the front of the of the truck as a human shield so that snipers couldn't get them. Uh, well, they say that five different precincts closed in on the UPS truck and lit the whole thing up from five different directions. Well, the five different five bullets from five different directions, five precincts, that's a pentagram. It's a pentagram with a virgin sacrifice in the middle. The whole article was just had all the signatures of a magic incantation and a a spell being put into the minds of the collective. I don't believe any of that really happened the way they told it to us. I think the Associated Press, you know, tweaked it here, tweaked it there, just so it looked like a magical spell. But I'll just point out that having Peter Parker uh, with the first blood drawn in the battle as an initiation scene thrown into a UPS truck was very much hailing back to that trauma that was injected into the minds of those who read Associated Press bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and it, I know, man, like my mom and dad and my sister all the time, they're just like sending me texts and Facebook messages of like, did you hear that this person murdered this person in town? And here's how horrible all the details were and all of the gory aspects. And I'm just like, I never would have heard about this and it would have never affected my worldview if you hadn't shared this with me today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that even when it's forgotten, especially for people that are just hearing and taking this in every day, all day, just because they may not consciously recall the UPS truck incident when they see that happen, that does not disclude it as being a part of trauma-based mind control, the MCU, MKU, MK Ultra. Yeah, I mean, if we haven't seen the mind control bullshit, illusion bullshit right now more than ever, like you guys have been out, out frolicking with Snake Jones and and enjoying the wild and and loving nature, which I'm so jealous <laughs> of. And I had to go to work and listen to these shits talk about Will Smith and fucking Chris Rock. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Oh Will Smith. God. I'm like Will. Guys. Will Smith. He's a Will Smith. It doesn't get more MK Ultra than right? smithing your will. Come on. I mean, you, they're showing you. You're just and a Chris Rock, you know, who took the hit. Yeah, is the, a Chris. It's you just missing the cross, and you got Christ with Chris and, and the Rock, single, the Rock, the Lord, the, scene the has Sir, been, the the Peter, yeah. the Petra. The Rock. Yep. Yep. Yeah. What did you have your I was kind of talking know. over you. No, it's all right, dude. It's it's just it's it's fiction. It's fiction. This is Hollywood. Yeah, You're watching a fucking show. It's a show. Yeah. Yep. And they think this shit's real. Like, oh my god, people are all mad about it. I'm like, oh Christ. And then then we got to hear fucking Jim Carrey come put his two cents in. Yes, it's fake. It's not real. Yes. They're all is. actors. So yes. another it's thing that symbolically, you're right about that, 100. Uh, percent Not to cut you off, like no, cut me Rachel's off, right? Preaching, Gordy. But I just remembered from this <laughs> screenshot that there are actually numerous scenes in the film where there is a prominent triptych 
in the background. Oh, the triple awesome. Oh, yeah. Here's one. And then you still see it really prominently. And uh, there's another, at least one more good one that I can remember. And if I was looking yes. for them more and, you know, when I scanned for screenshots, I was just hitting the fast forward 10 seconds at a time and finding all kinds yes. of stuff again. But, you know, it's a two and a half hour long movie. It took me and Gabriel last night, what, four and a half hours to watch all of it because we had to pause so many times. <laughs> so I, many times. Yeah, you guys just knew like the, the depth of the things we analyzed out of that. We're probably only grasping at straws compared to watching it in person. So to harken back to what you said, Gordy, about getting to be together in nature and doing Snake Jones stuff, which was awesome. Uh, there's more magic, really, when you get together and decode movies with friends. It's the best way to watch a movie. Really the only way that I want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So the triptych arches, those are AI archway of initiation. Hmm. This AI, the three in one, the triune. Yeah. Oh, hey, Snake Jones just said in the chat that he's here, present. <laughs> What's up, dude? What Thanks up, Snake? Okay, so let's hop forward. And in this scene where Doc Ock tries to stab, give uh, Peter his lethal injection here, his uh, inoculation from the doctor, it breaks on his armor, but it cuts his tie in half. So I grabbed this screenshot just to kind of reiterate some of the symbolism of Peter being a maze son because the triptych was just shown as the archways of initiation in many Masonic initiation rituals. It is common practice and requirement for the initiate to be the entered apprentice. They're called to be in some way disheveled. Like they have one pant leg rolled up, for example. So I call this, he looks disheveled and his tie is ripped. And to me, that feels like a, a fit, but maybe it's a stretch. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the umbilical cord. And he's trying to get into the society of this college, too. Right. And pleading his case to the, you know, the grandmaster, if you will. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's the uh, cutting of the umbilical cord. It's the raping of the placenta to be disheveled, to have your uh, your your wherewithal. You're not you don't have your wherewithal. Uh, um, so he's in a liminal space. It's like he's half dressed also. Um, but in the ritual, uh, the Masonic ritual, I'm pretty sure it's a, a noose in the front pulling them forward. Uh, but also, uh, I think it's a knife. Yeah, I believe it's a knife in the back. So they can't, they can't turn away. Um, and that is uh, really amazingly expressed in the business world, uh, ritualistically, by the tie on the front, much like a noose. And the knife at their back, strangely enough, I think is signifying the tailor. He who, if the suit makes the man, then the man who makes the suit makes the man. And so the tailor is uh kind of the handler so to say um yeah yeah and, and this is symbolic for crafting narrative which is worldview right. warfare which is what all shamanic technology is based around narrative control yep yeah so he is uh the tailor is um 
the man behind the man. Uh, you know, the, the handler, uh, yeah, very, very interesting how Masonic are, everything is in plain sight and they just, you know, riff on it in the movie for sure. Like where we have him with this big M on his chest and what's this up here? It's my next screenshot. Well, it's really blurry cause it's far away, but I guarantee that is a crest with a double headed <laughs> Eagle on it. Just a point for the for that symbolism. We don't need to linger on that one very long. Reinforces though. And now we're gonna jump forward to the part where he goes after the next villain. And Gabriel so cleverly pointed out this kind of pinkish sky leading up to the fight with Electro being this is like the uh pink coloring that is used in all these Verizon advertisements for cell phones and 5g and how great 5g is going to be is always paired with this hot pink and this isn't exactly hot pink but i found it interesting because these are like power lines and their cell towers in the scene and he's spider-man's on the horizon on the verizon right before he goes to fight electro who in terms of our analysis of the villains as being different vectors for the so-called virus ems EMF poisoning is clearly a vector for what is causing people to get ill right now. And electrode represents that hundred percent. He's the dirtiest electricity there is. Yep. I think they call it electric pink. It's the color of the Verizon uh, program. Oh, Chelsea's saying T-Mobile is the hot pink. I think they use it in Verizon symbolism too. Maybe it is T-Mobile. Maybe I missed that. I don't I see think a they, lot of commercials. They might've merged. I think T-Mobile might've bought out Verizon. But I'm not sure. I know T-Mobile bought a lot of people out recently. Uh, but there's something to unravel there. Uh, also, having Spider-Man uh, walking on the wires there is uh, very indicative of Carl Jung uh, uh, being the patriarch of the collective conscious uh, and the web of uh, the collective memory, uh, the membranes, the webs being membranes, uh, which are all terms, you know, those are all Carl Jung uh, patented terminology, but that he is walking on those uh, power lines is very uh, strong correspondence with the web of the collective conscious that both Carl Jung and Spider-Man dabble in pretty actively. You're on the mute. You got the mute again. Hey, thanks you. Thank you. Good looking out. Okay, so next is this continued fight scene, and then the Sandman shows up. Enter Sandman. Sandman, I believe, represents the aerosol spraying vector of illness around the world. You know, what they call it, uh, chemtrails. It's probably a naughty word. Uh-oh, YouTube. But right, he's this, this sand and this dust storm. And he kind of shows up as a good guy. And I find that really pertinent because aren't we being told that geoengineering is what we have to do to save us from climate change? And isn't climate change the next thing that we're going to be told is why people are sick and it's already happening? Oh, yeah, you're my myocarditis. Your enlarged heart has nothing to do with the cowpokes you willingly received over and over again. 
it's just climate change that's making children have heart attacks at young ages. And so this is geoengineering, which is the solution, you know, dim the sun, the light. And this is even being dimmed by the haze of Sandman. Yeah. Do, uh, do we want to lean into our, uh, our five variants uh, on this side, or do we want to save it for the other side? The other well, side okay. of like the end of the plot, you mean? Because this oh, is no. all going up. This is all going up free. I do want. Oh, to good, just, good, good. Okay, great. I Go do want to point out um, Electro's original suit, and they hint at it when they show him in that when they first show him his the electric like is the five pointed star on his face. It's just yes. real quick, but but if you know Electro's original um, costume. It's he looks like a it's a goofy costume. Uh, yep, but they flash it a couple times in here, don't they? Yes. Yeah, his mask. It's, f- his, it's his mask that they're flashing. Really, it's right. the whole costumes yeah. per se. Also, yep. got to say thank you to the people on Rockfin. It is awesome to see what you guys are chatting about. It's always heartening when more people, a dramatically larger number of people, are watching on Rockfin than are on GooTube. It's pretty awesome. So keep Sweet. it up, people. Thank you for that. Just show it. That's that's fun. Yes. (laughs) uh, It's great. So so I got I love that. Nice. I think we might as well go into that, Gabe, because uh here's the next screenshot I have. And I'm trying to I'm gonna keep trying to move us forward because there are a lot, there's a lot left. But here's the uh the lizard, right? And this is the vector, the viral vector of being infected by animals and bats and things like that. Bingo. Bingo. Yep. Uh, now, uh, Gordy, we're going to get some echidna in here for sure. You better believe. So echidna is a whole line of research that uh, that Gordy just blew my mind when he pointed out that the porcupine is called the echidna. And the reason it's called the echidna is because it is the missing link between uh, reptile and mammal. And uh, that is pretty profound and pretty significant uh, as the echidna in Greek mythology is the she-viper. And I've done a whole series on how the echidna is very significant to occult, to the occult world. Um, And it is embodied in many different characters in mythology. Um, But Medusa is an echidna. Uh, and there is an echidna who was the matriarch, the mother of all monsters, who uh, birthed all of the monsters of Greek mythology. She was the wife of Typhon. And so all of these mythological characters are being resurrected into these stories in a major way. So what Chance just said about the lizard being the bridge between animal, the animal world, and human DNA is uh, is very significant because uh, I have some graphics I'm going to bring up that indicate that the lizard man is the echidna, and they are reinforcing reinforcing that with other symbols. Uh, so that will be a theme we're going to riff on here in a second. Yeah, you let me know when you want me to pull it up. And if you're not ready yet, I'll just move on to the final villain. Because it is re- he's revealed pretty much right after this too. Okay. 
Okay, so it's the Green Goblin, right? Oh yeah, yeah. This is the this is the airborne variant. This is catching it in the air. This is cover your face, please, six feet apart. And when the Green Goblin is brought onto the stage in this film, the very first thing that happens is his mask, his persona, his dissociative identity is talking to him. It's on the side of a dumpster. And he's having an argument with the mask itself. And at the end of it, he breaks the mask. He shatters it. So it's kind of telling you, hinting at the idea that this airborne variant, you need the mask to protect you from it. And he's going without a mask is why he's a villain <laughs> in, a, in a kind of way. I'm sure there's way more to say about the Green Goblin, but he definitely represents the airborne transmission vector of yes. going viral. It- and he's got yep. all this green going too. Right. And his name is Osborne. Osborne represents the airborne variant. Uh, and, and one other thing, it's like the mask. In case it wasn't clear. He flies around. Yeah, you got it. So the mask is, was for him, it was like a totem, uh, uh, a talisman that instilled the psychosis gave him an excuse to embody this other this psychosis and at this point he doesn't need the mask anymore he is the psychosis and he uh so even when well, he, he gets throws- a reprieve interestingly he does get a reprieve from this public persona and back to uh, his private self after yeah. he breaks the mask after he rejects yep. the mask it's just that it comes back later yeah beneath Right. And so uh, what this is kind of saying is that um, even if the mask comes off, the mental effects, the psychological effects of that totem and what that shadow work did to people who weren't ready for it, like children in school, it's still going to linger. It's still going to pop up uh, later on in their life. And uh, just a really interesting detail. uh, They when Osborne is acting nice in his kind persona they gave him veneer teeth and when he goes crazy they pull out they pull the veneer teeth and he has crazy gappy ugly looking teeth so even in the uh behind the scenes they are still putting a veneer on for him to switch personalities uh I also think it's interesting to note that at the point that he rejects the persona and goes into the private, so to speak, mm-hmm. is in, in terms of the spiritual aspect of public and private, the public is all about commerce and that world. You know, your fiction, your fictional persona and your legal codes and statutes are all there to protect you in commerce and protect those who are powerful from your ability to use commerce against them. Mm-hmm. And the, the antidote, this is something Clint teaches really well. The antidote to commerce is, and this is one of the reasons why Christianity is so demonized, in my opinion, is charity. Charity is the antidote. Charity is how we operate in the private. Nice. Right? Someone comes to your home, like Snake Jones welcoming us into his home over the weekend. He fed us. He cared for us. He made sure we had everything we needed. We were treated with honor. We were given the best of anything he had like all all the time the whole time we we're there it was pure charity and that is what is missing in the public and so he goes to may's charity when he reverts to his private self i found that very interesting 
Um, since we're identifying all of the, we've got all of the villains identified now, right? We have five. Yeah, there are five. It's almost a sinister six if you so count why? Mysterio. I remember. I rem. Okay. Yeah. Now, wh- before this came out, I remember thinking, "Oh, it'd be really cool if we, we did a had a uh, sinister stick, sinister six movie, and had like the whole real pantheon of the um, sinister, the original '70s sinister six would be really cool." Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen. I'm like, "Okay, I get it. You know, some of those characters are kind of lame and stuff, but." I think it's a very interesting choice. They they could have thrown Mysterio in there. I mean, he is in the film. I think, and he initiates the entire thing. I think he counts as a sinister. I think you could say that it's a sinister six thing, but not to derail your point. No, I think they're they're pointing to the five. They're making a a a conscious choice of of a five. Interesting. Interesting. When the spell is contained by Doctor Strange, yeah, that spell is. Uh, contained in whatever the dodecahedron that's right dodecahedron is the one made out of pentagons yes which is uh which is a dungeons and dragons like grand granddaddy dice it's it's the 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 largest the most the biggest Mm. has the most sided martin's in the chat now he was our other hangout friend at the snake jones get together what's up martin so good to hang out with you, dude. So good. Uh, I got some screen salute. I got a few radiant man, just a yes. beautiful soul. Yes. Uh, I got a few screen shares that I can riff on to kind of reinforce what we just said. Let's see. Yeah. So I see Doc Ock as the uh, the old model of the virus. Uh, which is these, whatever these things that they are, have always been artist renditions. They always have been <laughs> since the beginning. Uh, but he definitely has this uh, model of the variant. You know, we're dealing with a multivir- multivirus, the multivirus. Proteins he's injecting. Yep. Absolutely. Like Hydra. Yes. When, the, when those, uh, those little pictures of having the little tingly thing and the little flagella. Yes. The flagella were supposed to be in our bodies. Right. And it's very much a, a Doc Ock thing. He's, you know, he's yeah. got the arms. Yeah. Uh, flagellating arms and very yes. echidna, very echidna. That's very echidna esque. Good point. So yeah, basically they've covered all, all bases with these villains. You know, you, if you believe that people are getting, sick from the injection, then this one's for you. You know, if you think it's because somebody sneezed, then this one's for you. You guys seeing oh, this one? He's got his pumpkin bombs. Yeah. It's like somebody he's... dropping a cough in the room. Yeah. That yep. green color. You got it. The, 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 what are we calling it? The yuck green, the yuck green of the Ukraine, of the Ukraine. Um, so, uh, also, I had to bring forward the fact that Oscorp is a Scorpio. He's the kiss of betrayal. You see, he even has like these, uh, his forearms are exaggerated and it looks like a scorpion's claws. Yep. And he, he, uh, ends 
May's life later, not long from here. That's with, right. With, with the Scorpion stab. was one of the uh, original six, Sinister Six. And it is a kiss of betrayal, too, because she is the one that trusted him and convinced mm-hmm. Peter that he needed to save them instead of sending them home. Right, because he came, he infiltrated her uh, homeless shelter. Yep, and betrayed her in the end. Great point. So he, this one was pretty obvious. What do you think about that, guys? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had to choose a, uh, what kind of, a mace? Is that what that is? I don't know. Uh-huh. That's what she like a mace. a mace. Yeah. Sand mace. Sand mace, yeah. And yep. it's unfortunate. I, I think Flint Marco is a decent character. Uh-huh. I don't think they they really ever fleshed out well because I mean his whole thing was his daughter, you know, right? A single man demonized, uh-huh. and because he had to do desperate things, you know, that's yes. how he got into it. It's not like he was a bad guy. He was the guy that was down on his luck. Did you guys say his name is Flint Mace? Flint Marco. Flint Marco. Flint Marco, huh? Well, it starts with the fly. Fly, N-T, Mark, O. Very much uh, aerosol injection. (laughs) Whisper. Flint is, of course, a stone-type name. Yeah. Stone. Nice. Same rock. Yeah. So, next, I'd love to riff on this for a second. Because... Gordy, I don't think I would have uh, put this all together if you hadn't turned me on to the echidna and the significance of the echidna. Um, but up above, uh, this building here with F-E-A-S-T, that's the building that uh, uh, Aunt May works at, that the Joker, or I'm sorry, that um, the Goblin uh, infiltrates. He goes in there and acts all innocent and eventually... Uh, betrays Aunt May and kills her. Well, the it's an acronym. The F-E-A-S-T is an acronym for Food, Emergency, and Shelter Training. Well, I took the acronym and I did my own anagram work and I came out with FATES. And uh, FATES is a very interesting anagram in the context of this film. As they, uh, Spider-Man is messing with the FATES of multiple universes by uh, pulling people in and altering them and putting them back. Well, what he's doing is he's saving them from their fates. His whole goal is to rescue the villains from Mm -hmm. themselves to help them integrate their shadow because he's Carl Jung. (laughs) Uh Yes. And And there's even that theme of fate and destiny with Dr. Strange throughout Marvel because of his affinity to the time stone. We did this the other day when we were talking to each other about how uh, in Avengers Endgame, Tony Stark and Doctor Strange are seen as antitheses to each other, but almost like reflections, uh, rivals. They both have the black hair and the goatee. One is saving the world through technology. One is saving the world through science. And Uh even in the whole time travel caper, the time heist idea, Strange goes into the future and views all the possible variable timelines that could occur. And comes back with the knowledge of the one that needs to happen for everyone to survive. And then Stark goes into the past to create that one timeline. So one reaches into the future 
to look at the fate of things. And the other takes his destiny into his own hands by going into the past. And this goes hand in hand with Peter being kind of the, or Spider-Man being kind of the new Iron Man is thematically a thing in the, especially the second of these Spider-Man films. Yes. And that he is altering his own destiny. He's taking control of his own destiny in this film and challenging fate and the fates of these other villain characters. While Dr. Strange the whole time is trying to force him to send them all back and leave Uh them to their fates. He says the fates of multiple universes require them to die basically. Yep. Yep. And just another quick point is strange and stark do not like each other. They are way too similar. Of course they would not like each other, but that is very interesting because in Hollywood context, they have played the same character, Sherlock Holmes. So there is an inherent rivalry in the casting. How did I never make that connection? That's great. Thank you. Right. And they probably, I mean, they're, they're basically in a Fu Manchu competition. Who's got the best beard? (laughs) You know, interesting, which is another interesting thing because, um, Dr. Strange originally was modeled after, uh, Vincent Price and for the Vincent Price movie, um, oh, I can't, it's the Raven. I think it's like a, a goofy version of, like a '60s version of the Raven, uh, right? It, but it's, and, it's dueling dueling wizards. Yep, and, and a Raven is also a crow, and the name Crowley has mm. the word crow in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Latin word for crow is Corvus, which is not that yes. far from COVID. Yeah. Really. Oh, great hey, point. Chance, could you bring that up back up real quick? Um, okay. One thing I wanted to show real quick. Okay, see on the on the. Uh, the moving van, how it's painted, yes. Forest Hills Moving Company. That's a, that's a neighborhood in in New York where supposedly, I guess, I don't know. That's where Forest Peter Hills. Parker is supposed to have grown up in the original comics. But now he lives in this version. He lives, you know, he's been Mandela affected into an apartment. Yep. Right, exactly. And I mean, f- food, emergency and shelter training screams FEMA to me. Yes, I think this is predictive programming or mm-hmm. threatening the sub, the collective conscious that that is our fate. And you see that five star like you just held up a starfish, dude, to the echidna again. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. So this was to me, this is the truck that they uh, they use to move around covertly through town. Uh, I see this as a star fish, the star feast. Mm-hmm. is encoding a starfish, which is an echinoderm, which is related to the echidna. It is also a part of Jesuit heraldry. Uh, and this down here at the bottom, this is a Jesuit, I believe this is Alabama. Zoom this is, yeah, this is, uh, let's see, there we go. I believe this has uh, roots in Alabama. Uh, but you have a starfish with the, the spines poking out of it. Uh, you have a blue jay, which is a B to the J initiation. Boaz, Joaquin, uh, John the Baptist, J to the B. Uh, and down here you have a... Uh, There's the foxes we mentioned. And here are the foxes sharing over a pot of um, probably lentils. This is probably hailing back to Esau and Jacob. Um, but yeah, this is Jesuit heraldry. 
And so having that echinoderm uh, encoded on the truck, this is the truck that Lizard Man breaks out of. He rips through this graffiti right here. He breaks out of it uh, and makes an escape. Well, he's Lizard Man. He is a a viper, a he-viper. He's a he-viper. He's an echidna. And I talked to a friend of mine, uh, big up if you're watching out there, uh, he translated this uh, graffiti for me, and he thinks it means poetry, uh, and that it is a legitimate uh, graffiti artist in reality. Um, and he brought some examples that are pretty convincing. You're going to have uh, to weave the whole sync that came out from that because it's pretty funny. Yeah, it kind of ahead of ourselves. There's a little bit in the past of the plot to catch up to, but okay. But here's okay. another screenshot of that feast truck that he breaks out of. And tell us, <laughs> tell us about your friend who's a graffiti artist who you sent this to and why this blew his mind, just because I think it's funny. It means yeah. we're onto something. Yeah, man. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I'm not going to drop his name because I don't have permission. I don't know if he would care if I would or not, but he is a very uh, synchronous individual. Uh, like, it's amazing how uh, so many things that in his life lines up, line up with my life. And so I just dropped him a screen cap and said, you know, I know you're a graffiti. I mean, he's amazing. He's amazing. Uh, I've seen his work. And I asked him, what do you think this means? Can you translate this graffiti for me? And he was probably taken quite aback because he has a uh, love interest in his life who is about to go through a move. And she is moving out of Forest Hills. And so she needs a moving van, a moving truck. And this one that I sent to him has Forest Hills written on it. And it probably blew his mind in a major way Mm -hmm. because he got onto my work through my echidna research and my uh, uh, breaking down the myth of Perseus as he has taken off the head of Medusa, who is the she-viper. And so uh, I just had to, you know, reach out to him, which is, I mean, the synchronicities of it uh, are go even further than that. But I don't want to give too much up on my, on my boy. Yeah, you know who you are. But it was really something that I sent him that picture. And he's like, dude, that's hitting real close to home. So that's pretty, pretty magical. Okay, so we're going to back up a little bit in the plot and talk about we're going to really get into something we left on the table so far. Oh man, this is one of the more despicable aspects of the programming and social engineering of this movie. But here's everyone probably is familiar with J. Jonah Jameson. And oddly enough, in this universe, it's the same actor. How did that happen? The same Jameson is in Tobey Maguire's universe. So he's now basically he's Bale Hicksos. I mean, Alex Jonestown and he's a conspiracy theorist and he is selling his, his pharmacia wares, just like Alex Jones energy, you know, he's selling you on supplements and he's basically the uh, conspiracy theorist that you're supposed to hate because he's telling lies about your heroes. Right. And uh, but Gabe, you also pointed out nicely that this kind of reminds us of the spiky ball behind him. And of course, don't forget this green coloring. Of course, we've discussed that in depth already. And the Daily Bugle even 
to connect it to Alex Jones. The Daily Bugle has a trumpet here. And what was it? What was it that Alex Jones was publicly, publicly, you know, ostracized from Facebook and places for? Was it because of his support for trumpets? I mean, Trump Pence? Hmm. Trump Pence. <laughs> yeah. Isn't so that wild? a lot to say about this guy, but man, I hate how they do conspiracy theorists and yeah. in these movies. It's, yeah. it's across so many Disney movies or I mean, Marvel movies <laughs> yes. right now. And the change that they made to, to Jay Jonah's character, not only just being this, but they took his hair. Like one of, one of Jay Jonah's uh, defining. Uh, oh my in, God. In the they scalped uh, him. They scalped him. Yeah. He got tonsured in the, in the Merovingian tradition. They tonsure the hair so he could never wear the crown. Hitler stash too. It's kind of a Hitler stash now. Yes. Great catch, Gordy. Well, he had a Hitler stash before, kind of. I mean, Uh pretty much. But he lost his hair. He lost his potency. They also removed any characterization other than a one-dimensional, you hate this guy, he's a conspiracy theorist thing. You know, other versions of Jameson, you would get at least that there was a redeeming quality expressed at some point that he had a heart of gold. He just really hated Spider-Man. <laughs> right. right? Mm-hmm. But no, in this he's just roasting Spider-Man all day and he's terrible. Well, yeah. And that's, that's the big thing in the, in the comic was uh, Jay Jonah loved Peter, but hated Spider-Man. And that was the, nice. whole, that was the whole thing. Like, uh, well, I'll take care of you, my boy. Come on. You know, I'll pay you, you know, it was the whole thing. About well, he, he was stingy about paid. it, but he, he would stingy, pay. but he always got paid. But he always cared. Uh-huh. Like in the end, you know, he cared about Peter as a kid, you know, yes. kind, of, kind of a hard, hard dad kind of character. Right. Okay. So we were talking foxes and we've mentioned that in this film, the word fix is really important. They're always trying. They're trying to fix yeah, the, daily the villains. Fix. I they're trying that. to fix the viral vectors that mm-hmm. are the villains. Right. And his show is called The Daily Fix. Yeah. Again, also insinuating that conspiracy culture, people are addicted to this kind of what they're portraying as misinformation. Right. Uh, it's also a so, drug thing. Yes. Brought to you by pharma. By their Pfizer. Yes. Pharmaganda. Mm-hmm. It's Pharmaganda for sure. Yep. This movie is basically Pharmageddon. It is Farmageddon. Maybe I should take this point to. No, I'll save it. I, I have a huge weave to slam dunk all this okay. at the okay. end about, about what I really am talking about with multivirus. But we'll, yeah. get, there. we'll get there. I got to I got to put forward the fact that Jameson's voice sounds oh. like Bill Hicksos, a.k.a. Al Lookalikes Jonestown. Mm-hmm. It sounds the same. They got the same voice, even, and that goes way back. That goes to the cartoons. Yeah, they're that part of the Frogs Day. Yeah, it predates Jones. I've got voice. the documents. So it's almost like uh, Bill Hicksos, Alookalikes, Jonestown at Jonestown, <laughs> was scripted to fulfill the character of Jameson. Um, if we're going to go chicken or egg, if we have to do chicken or egg. Uh, Jameson predates Hyksos. Just a thought. Okay, so here we go. Here's the do it, do it, Deus ex machina moment. Oh, right, yeah. So 
Who wants to explain what this cube is? Hit us up, Gordy. Well, I don't I don't remember the word that he used to call it, but it's Gabe's a container. Got that. Do, yeah. do you remember what it's called? Machina yes. dichotomous. Dichotomous, right. Okay. So it's the it's the cage that control that contains the spell itself. So he's contained all the taking the spell or what's fucked up with it, supposedly. And it's supposedly being housed in this kind of dipicky feeling. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's uh, it's also a cube, mm-hmm. and this is this is a. So there's so much here going on. It is a cube, and uh, recently I made a kind of. I'm not sure what I'm seeing, but I made a really what seems like a very significant realization. Uh, Alan Marcus kind of wove this with me recently, but uh, I've discovered that almost all with only with only one exception all of the boundaries all of the dividing lines of the states of america are shaped either as a y shape or a t shape and that is exactly uh the limitations those are the the uh the dimensional specific uh, dimensions of every which way you can look at a cube. No matter which way you turn the cube, you will either see the shape of a T if you're looking at it head on, or if you give it a cant, if you look at the canted cube, the canted square, it has a Y shape to it. So T's and Y's all across the United States on all of our state boundaries and borders are telling me that they worship the cube in a very creepy way. And they have been for a very long time. And the only location that is an exception to that rule is the four corners, which is very much a Templar cross to me. And there's a lot of mystical toponymy and mystical significance of the four corners and having them all is this the sole exception to the rule for uh, what I believe is uh, cube worship. It's it's indicating to me cube worship. I don't and, know, worship is the right word. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In the sense, cube symbolism is uh, is definitely there. Worship nice. is such a just a weird word, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so now I put this up that a concept up against the name of this device. It's the machine that divides. It's the dividing machine. And me seeing all of the states as divided up into T's and Yods, Y's and T's, YouTube, thank you, Y-T. It's very interesting to me, very interesting. Uh, But yeah, having the name of this uh, machina dichotomous uh, translate to dividing machine is interesting, but also I got to point out machina has the word China in it. And everybody knows China is the source of all the scariants. <laughs> it all <laughs> has to be a big red scare at the end, right? It's got to be China's fault. So yeah, the Deus ex machina of the whole movie has the word China uh, encoded into it but also a uh, dividing machine, uh, which lends to the uh, multivirus, multiverse 
multivirus theme that we're weaving here. I've got something on this too that just came to mind. The cube is also book in reverse, right? Phonetically. And this is the the fate character who wants to send these characters, the the villains back into their fate, right? So here he is with the cube or the book, the book of life, if you will. That yeah. if you you know, these are villains, so their name is not written in the book of life. So when he activates it, he is going to send them to their fate, right? Their karma, if you will. And alongside of this cube in this shot, we have the eye of Agamotto, which is where the time stone was held. This is very much an all-seeing eye type of symbol. And even the name Agamotto or Agamotto to get us back to this idea of, you know, Young and Philemon, right? The Daimon. This is something that we've been talking about for days now. Yeah, man. And there's probably a lot that we've missed and things we could reference with the Daimon and associative dissociative identity disorder, whatever. Well, <laughs> the, another name for the sun, for the soul invictus, or the, in my opinion, the original dissociative identity disorder brought to us by priestcraft sorcery like Jesuits, which is that all these mythological archetypes that we attribute to pantheons of gods, they can all be traced back to solar symbolism. Mercury, Saturn, Jupiter, you name it. They could all be the sun, even the goddesses, if you trace the etymology back farther enough or far enough. And one of the names for the Sol Invictus is the good daimon, which is in Greek, agathodaimon. Agathodaimon. Ag- Agamotto, agathodaimon. To me, there's like a, to me, this feels like a relevant connection because there's yeah. this all-seeing eyes looking at the cube is the book of life that the villains are not written within. And when it is activated, when it is unsealed, they will be returned to their fate. Man, there is Excellent. a lot. You know, I was, yeah. The eye of Agamotto, the shape has always kind of made me curious, kind of like his, his Pluto um, symbology on his original costume, the, the eye of Agamotto, this, those, um, swoops that that it the eye of Agamotto like his symbol you know each of the doctors or each of the sorcerer supremes have a have kind of a different symbol uh-huh. or each one of those containers had a different symbol right yeah and I've always tried to decode that um, I'm always trying to think of what that is and chance you doing you you know you're doing your energy work back there and i was i've been thinking about that and we don't see as many torsions as in this film as a lot of a lot of these marvel films but this kind of you know wong and and uh doctor strange are doing these these kinds of of their spells mm-hmm. it's it's basically mudra energy work. Yeah, yeah. That that we're we're moving our energy in our torsion field, and that that those movements kind of kind of like if you follow those movements, it's kind of a uh, what is it? Brush the horse kind of qigong mm-hmm. thing. I I don't know. It just it just hit me as you were talking about it chance so yeah man yeah 
It just hit me that we're two hours and 20 minutes in and I'm on screenshot 29. (laughs) We're doing pretty well, but uh, it might be even longer than the last one, but we can't make this a trend of getting longer every time. This has got to be the upper limit. We can do this though. Okay. Uh, Man, here it is again. Here's uh, Philemon and, and Young together. Check this out. You guys are riff on this. I'm good. For sure, yeah. This is this is what happens here for the people that didn't see it. So what happens is Doctor Strange hits him, and he does the whole trick that the the ancient one did to um, the Hulk in the earlier movie. He sets him. It's because Spider Man's trying to steal this cube because he doesn't. He's trying to resist fate, right? Right. And what his body is doing, his higher self is is keeping it away from from Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is trying to grab it from him. But he's out of his body. His body is is automatically doing the thing to keep it away from him. And he's like, and he says, he's like, you're not supposed to be able to do this. He's like, this is so cool. He, yeah, he's he's enjoying it. He's connected mm-hmm. to his daimon more than right. an average person, right? Exactly. You're not supposed to be able to speak with angelic beings called Philemon. Yep, the young did that. Yep, because he's got those spidey senses keeping him keeping him dialed. There's a secret. We all can do that. Yeah. What buddy. else is interesting too is the blue is removed from his suit at this point. Mm. He's wearing red and black instead of red and blue. <clears throat> yes, uh, but his spirit self, his higher self, has the blue and no red. You're right. Nicely weaved. Uh, That's nice. the upper Excellent. chakras. That's the That's higher, it. the higher body, the higher self. Right on, right on. And, and Dr. Strange is integrated. He has them both. So it's, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of integration. All these Jungian concepts are very uh, crucial to seeing what's being put in plain sight. So when, when I saw this scene, I, I realized that Spider-Man is being initiated. He's going through all of the, uh, the, He's having like a, a symbolic death. Yeah, he's having. Yep, he's having that fast track montage experience where the same things that happened to Strange when he went to um, Taj. Is it Comatage? Comatage. Comertage. Yeah. Comertage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Doctor Strange got knocked out of his body and had. And for Strange, it was disheveling. It was too much for him to take in. But for Peter Parker, he's like, oh, yeah, this is my jam. I'm totally down for this. And then uh, and and he's still thriving. His physical form is still capable of survival tactics. It also happens in the Avengers Infinity or Endgame when the Hulk, who is the green man, goes back in time for the time stone, the green stone. Oh, right. And then and that's integrated Hulk. That's Bruce Bruce Hulk. He's yeah, he's doctor, he's uh, could, he's Banner, but in the Hulk body now. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. So one point I'll make on this scene is uh, the next thing that happens after he comes back into his body, he he thwips away and starts making a escape uh, maneuver, and Strange pulls off the cape and sends the cape after Spider Man, and in that moment the cape catches Spider Man and pulls him back in. Well, that is the initiation that Doctor Strange went through. 
So Spider-Man is definitely getting like a, a montage of initiation by being knocked out of his body and then having the cape uh, send, pull him back to uh, Doctor Strange uh, in a very interesting way. And then the next thing they do is go into the mirror universe. So it's like Peter Parker is uh, experiencing months worth of training from Comitage all in 15 or 30 minutes here of real yeah. time. If we want to yep. speed, speed it up chance. Um, do you, do you have stuff about the mirror universe or do you want to just, no, jump? we're skipping through the mirror universe. There's tons of like echidna spikes all over that, that whole thing. Archimedean spirals and spirals and all geometry, yeah. the big G geometry, the whole, yeah. The whole speech about, Hey, I'm good at geometry. I can figure this out. Yeah. He's good at geometry. Yeah. He has, he's going through his initiation. I mean, mm-hmm. it, what Gabe said, you just would rewatch that part of the movie with that in mind. And You'll see so and this whole movie, like that's why I wanted to throw the big themes out first, because we're only barely able to cover. I mean, the depth of detail in it is crazy and it's two and a half hours. So, you know, after maybe rewatch it, if you haven't seen it yet after this, if you want, because you'll probably catch things we didn't bring up. But maybe we were thinking when we ourselves watched it. So anyway, let's go ahead. Skipping forward. Now he's initiated. He's stolen the cube. From Doctor Strange, he's trapped Doctor Strange in the mirror world. You know, the he's defeated the master. He's symbolically become the master of the sanctum temporarily. And he's in the wizard's dungeon. Um, and he takes all of the villains over to the apartment where they're staying to try to fix them. Keyword. And so the first one up for fixing is Dr. Octopus. And remember, he's thematically the vec- the viral vector of injection, right? And ha- he is cured, or I'm sorry, fixed. We're using the word fix here. He's fixed by, and Gordy, I'm sure you're going to have a lot to say about this, a chip added to the back of his neck and these spikes, these tines of the echidna jab into the back of his neck at the bottom base of his brainstem. So as this, if I would hit to play on this, if it was the movie, these uh, things would just go like joop and spike into him injecting, you know, needles. It's just like, we're, I think we're right on with the theme because the other villains have their symbolic representation of the different viral vectors just as com like frequently portrayed. So there's that. And this fixes him of course, is this integrates his arms with his original psyche, you know, his shadow, is integrated in the young sense. He's no longer controlled by the shadow or the unconscious. And he's a good doctor again. You know, it's interesting always that they choose that spot in all these fiction movies of control. That control is always right at the base of your, your neck right here. There's, there's a reason for that. It's not it's not an accident that that the movies the movies are reflecting the real stuff that they actually have and they do um which they're starting to admit here very very quickly I got to say something cool from the comments too uh earlier Joshua on the YouTube side was talking about the cable tow or the cable tow which when the priest would go into the holy of holies they 
have a rope tied around him so that if he was struck dead by the glory of Jehovah, All right. they could drag him out. And yeah, right. Wayne on the other side pointed out that the cape is the cable toe. And they didn't see each other making those comments. So great oh, job on awesome. both sides of the Rockfin and the YouTube chatter. Wow. Thank you both. That's awesome. Been trying to keep up with reading it. You guys are on it. Wow. So yeah, Gordy, I saw you put posted an article that they're they're whatever, soft revealing the brain chip technology. They're trying to sell it as a good thing. They're selling it as a cure for depression. I can tell you with 100% certainty, that is not what it does. That is not what it does. It is for control. It is not a piece of machinery in your body is not there to help you. It is there to control you. Yep. 100%. Cybernetics. You will start seeing it more and more and more. I mean, the whole Elon Musk's bullshit, which, by the way, is. Okay, maybe this for another time and a lot longer weave. Um, Go back and watch my episode with Wayne McCroy from last year if you want to find out cybernetics, what it really is all about. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, let's just leave it at that for now. But yeah, Yeah. that's an entry point that they use. It is used all the time. And just just for perspective, uh, Doc Ock was vax hesitant, and they forced this chip onto him. He did not yeah, want, he didn't it. want it. They had to and, incapacitate him. Right. They had to incapacitate him, but he's the one that convinced the other ones. And then, yes. Oh, after he got it, he's after the one he that convinced the other ones they wanted to do it too. You're right. That's right. Yes. And it will come up later that the doc becomes uh, a solution. He uh, that we'll get to that at the closing scene, but uh, the doctor, uh, yeah, he goes on infiltration mode and starts convincing all the others. That's a great point. He he's turned. He's singing a different song now that he's got the he's chip. Congratulating the other ones. Yeah, is that's what happens at the last? Is he's like. He, well, maybe I'm getting ahead. Sorry. Well, that's okay. What happens is, I mean, we're jumping around. We're doing a really good job, honestly, <laughs> going in relative order. Yeah. But yeah. Then the others are getting their scientism cures. We can, as Wayne pointed out, quote, we can fix the creator's mistakes. You know, that's kind of the theme right. here with the word fix. And okay. So, um, they all get their various fixes. And it's really important to point out how stupid it is in terms of logic in the, like they're in an apartment and they come up with like a, a serum to cure the goblin. So they're doing biochemical synthesis. They come up with a chip to cure Dr. Octopus. They come up with some kind of power siphoning harness to put on electro. And it goes on, you know, a uh, green gas is what they use on the, or they want to use on the lizard or the lizard is downstairs in the echidna cave, right? <laughs> Separated from everyone else. And who is the fifth one in this equation that I'm missing? Uh, Sandman. Sandman. Oh yeah. Uh, they end up fixing him with some kind of like weird flashy light stick. Not as, yeah. not as well developed as a thing, but it's all stupid. Like <laughs> later in the movie when these cures don't work or they don't get to finish them all. And the three Spider-Men get together. They actually make the cures or the fixes, these amazing technological things, 
in a like a university science laboratory just with beakers and test tubes somehow they come up with all these things and it's so stupid yes and, <laughs> the miracle and of science and i'll point out that is the point in the movie in the film where i started to see the yellow and blue just start flashing uh, every other scene from that point on the yellow and blue is like consistently f- thrown into the mix. Like, okay, we put on our science goggles and punched around with whatever scientific elements. And now go Ukraine. Well, you, you know, uh, one thing, I don't know if we, we pointed out this, that all that magic, magic technology came from mm-hmm. Tony's cube that he left. That cube unfolded, and he had yes. all these all these tools. It was just this magic machine that just solves their problems. It's it was like, like a three a three D printer, three D printed AI thing that just comes up with technology, <laughs> chemicals and all. Yeah, chem- and it's yeah, all it's about like, that nanotech. Yeah, and right the the thing at the end with uh, Doc and. Um, cause they're all convincing each other about taking it. And that's when, um, when Electro takes off his thing and decides, I'm not, you know, you're not going to change me kind of thing. And that's when Doc tells, um, I can't remember Goblin's, uh, first name, uh, Osborne. Osborne. Yeah. He's, so he tells him, he's like, what's it feel like? You're going to be you again. You're going to be just you. And that's when he's like, oh, right. Fuck that. Yeah. I'm not going to be me ever again. Well, he, I think he says like. Uh, the power. He talks about he, the power. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's so profoundly psychological. This move, this is probably one of the most psychological films uh at least I should maybe specify blatantly, like blatantly psychological. It's, it's profound. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we works. covered that off and now the goblin or Osborne, his shadow takes over and he transforms into the, the mask again, but just without wearing one and all the villains escape and Spider-Man gets in a fight with the goblin, gets the crap kicked out of him. And then here comes the the airborne variant where the glider comes out of nowhere. You weren't expecting it and hits Aunt May, which is pre-echoed in the movie with her blue dress and red sash around her waist, which is earlier before the kiss of betrayal. When they're in the shelter or a charity place, she's wearing that outfit, pre-echoing, foreshadowing that he's going to betray her and she's going to have a wound around her midsection like that. Yep. But here's what we realized when we were talking about this scene is the aerial variant, if you will, is said to be like responsible for killing people's uh, guard, you know, their loved ones, their their aunts, their uncles, their, their, their elders. grandparents, mm-hmm. the elders. And she's not that old in this movie, although I think Marissa Tomei, who plays it, it plays out May is actually way older than she looks. And in fact, that's part of this film big time most of the actors that came from other movies and reprised their roles, except Jameson, who they made look like shit. They all are probably CGI'd out and made makeup 
to make them look way younger than they currently are to try to fit into the plot better. But this is it. This is where the airborne variant takes out your grandma because she was cowpoke hesitant. She, uh, you know, she was not going to accept the fate of the multivirus or whatever. Right. And we, we mentioned this already, but it's that kiss of betrayal from the Scorpio Oscorp Scorpio uh, betrays her uh, in the, in the worst way because, you know, he infiltrated her generosity, her, uh, her public service where she worked uh, and got close to her to get close to Peter and then used her to hurt Peter. Uh, so yeah, definitely Scorpio Oscorp all the way. Yeah, that was a tearjerker. And, and also at this point, this is where she really reinforces what is what I call the Messiop, right? Which is Spider-Man's kind of downfall in a sense that he's really programmed with this we must sacrifice ourselves for the greater good, you know, type of mentality idea. It's really the superhero trope. And in fact, all the, I've seen it everywhere, billboards that are like, you're the superheroes and showing the nurses and doctors on the billboard, or you're the superhero for getting the cowpoke, or you're a superhero for wearing the mask. Heroes wear masks. Last I checked, bandits wear masks too. But in her dying moment, this is his Uncle Ben because Uncle Ben doesn't exist. So we kind of gender flipped that she is uh, instilling in him the reinforcement that she was right. Even though this got her killed, she's still like, no, I'm, this is the right thing to do. We must do this. And I just find that really interesting because the whole argument behind so many, like the you know, sort of the inverted pop culture version of mainstream religions, like Christianity, I call it inverted in the sense that, what people focus on about Christ's story is his death on the cross. They focus on that. Like what makes him the ultimate hero for humanity is that he let the collective kill him, which, so this kind of gets into this multivirus thing as I am seeing it in the sense that the multivirus represents the split personality of source in all of us becoming homogenized and collectivized the multivirus in the sense of your shadow being eliminated. You're no longer, you've been fixed, right? You're no longer as the creator made you yin and yang, light and dark. You've been made like everybody else, uh, you know, unable to think for yourself, NPC'd, whatever you want to call it. And this comes about through the Messiah, Messiah ops, as I call it, that, we need an external savior that there, our savior, our salvation is anywhere other than within ourselves, or that our connection to source creator, Christ, whatever is something external. It's a historical story. It's anything other than your inner connection to truth and your compass and conscience. And it's like the multivirus has to do, it's just a layered idea, but it has to do with how our morality is getting outsourced and has been for generations and generations, thousands of years to authority where we make authority, our truth instead of truth, our authority, right? Where instead of doing the right thing, because it's the right thing, we're doing the right thing because we're being told that it's the right thing. Like we want to 
do it because our aunt may told us it was the right thing. Not because it's what we authentically think is the right thing. I hope all this is making sense, but there's a lot there in this multivirus. The, the, the Borg is a transhumanism turning us into the Borg, homogenizing us, deleting the genders, becoming all one homogenous roboticized mass. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, and that's that whole taking away of your decision-making power. Um, this is that addiction that we're addicted to to giving people our power. And I know that Snake Jones will, will back me up on this. You can't fix anybody else. You have to fix yourself. That's why this didn't work. This is what Dr. Strange was trying to tell him. Like, you can't. But he was doing it the same, the same way too. He was trying to fix it too. You can't fix it. You can't fix anybody else's reality for them. That person has to fix themselves. They have to go through that, that change themselves. They have to choose it. This is about the choices that we make. And we, every time we give our choices up to, to whatever the, the imbecilic masses are that are talking about, uh, an award show that nobody cared about for 10 years. Like, come on. When was the last time you watched that piece of shit? Grow up. Right. Yeah. Like, no one is, They only it. make those theatrical Will Smith crafting your will. <laughs> they only make that thing uh, a big deal because it's the only way anyone's even going to look at that stupid award show. They're desperate. It's an obvious sign of desperation. You know, the, yeah, the, yeah, the honor, the, the veneer of honor has gone out the window and now it's just like, how can we make it as much like WCW as possible? And that also goes to the dumbing down. Right. Exactly. So, and they don't so, even, people don't even see that they're being sucked into it. Right. Like they're playing the w, WWE or whatever too. You're yeah. doing it. They're doing yeah. it. I got, I got a riff on, I got a riff on this scene and bring it back to that, what you're saying, Gordy. So this is the moment where she, where she instills into Peter the with great, with great power must come great responsibility. And you're, you're muted, brother. I just got to say that is an awesome theme is why Spider-Man is my favorite. It's why this, I got this to remind me of that because I see it differently. Maybe in the sense that I think our power is unlimited if we're connected to source and that is our responsibility is to honor that and harmonize with that yeah yeah so so in this moment she tells him that line and that's this spider-man spider-man number one it's uh it's his um teachable moment uh absolutely and then she and then she passes away and then assholes in uniforms Assholes wearing uh, costumes come to the window and start blazing the whole place full of lead. They just start shooting blindly into the building. Yeah, he gets forcibly shot. He gets shot against his will. He gets a forced injection. And he runs away. Uh, He he takes the passive uh, option and he runs away. But I want to point out the reason that those assholes in costumes decided to start filling the building full of lead is because they don't have to take responsibility mm-hmm. for pulling that trigger. They have uh, uh, 
what is it? Civil immunity. Uh, they have, they basically have paid an insurance company to give them permission to not be responsible for the damage that they might cause. Hmm. So that is the problem that they're running around with those guns, but they're not taking responsibility for the damage they cause. They get a paid vacation if something goes wrong and the police department will investigate themselves. But uh, I, I do, I want to bring it back to what you said about the Oscars. You know, they can depict this, uh, this violence, this public display of irresponsible violence from one man onto another man, and they can reap benefits from it to up their ratings, uh, allegedly, probably, but there's no responsibility. There's not going to be any fallout. There's not going to be any trial. There's not going to be any charges pushed because the whole thing is an insured uh, uh, theatrical event. <laughs> it's all insured. So I'm, what I'm getting at is the insurance has removed the sense of responsibility from humanity. And I am I'm being very generous in my word. <laughs> yeah, that would be a conversation in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Really. I mean, we can't, we can't pause there. There's too yeah. much. I think we've got another 14 slides left to go, but man, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. that so, you know, we're, awesome. <laughs> we're doing awesome though, aren't we? I'm this, actually is gonna, this is what we do. I was just thinking yeah. I need to skip this slide because it was just a shot of something at Ned's grandma's house on the wall that I was like, I can, I can quick picture that they just decide to flash at us for a second. What are we looking at here before we get into the summoning of (laughs) the summoning of demons is the next scene. Yes. So uh, Ned says in passing, nothing is in passing. Every little line is always intentional, Mm -hmm. but he says in passing to Dr. Strange when he's in the sanctum, he says, you know, my aunt tells me that, uh, the magic abilities run in our family. And sometimes I get this tingling feeling in my, in my hands. What do you think that means? And then they just roll over that whole statement. Well, this is disclosing to us that his mother has partaken in ceremonial magics and knows the many, many valuable uh, of these, these ritualistic blades. 13 of them. Yeah, which is also cool in terms of symbolic literacy because we just went through the kiss of betrayal, Scorpio, which would lead us to the 13th sign, Ophiuchus. 13 yes. here. Okay, so we'll, we'll move forward. We, yep. <laughs> it, it's hinted at though because he's got magical, it's said that he's, it's his magical bloodline. This is referring to. Right. M- Magical bloodlines, actually, because Ned is able to use Doctor Strange's brass knuckles that open portals that Peter stole from him. Doctor Strange is still trapped in the mirror dimension. And what happens next is they decide they need to find Peter because he's gone AWOL after his aunt's death and they don't know where he's at. And so they open a portal. They summon the demon by knowing his name. Right. This is they need Philemon. Right. They're trying to find Philemon. So they have the magic circle. They know the name of the diamond. And 
out through the portal steps Andrew Garfield Spider-Man instead of Tom Holland Spider-Man. And this is where we are now experiencing the multivirus, <laughs> multiple versions of the same source. Yes. And versions of the Daimon, the, yeah. the shadow, the light version, and the integrated version of the Spider-Man, right. as we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. And uh, uh, MJ starts trying to command the spirit who comes through the, through the portal. She starts giving him, you know, instructions and he's not, he's not listening to her. And there's a bit of a, a tension between who's in control here. And so she gets him to obey just a little. He jumps up and puts one hand on the ceiling and he's like, okay, see, I'm Spider-Man, but she's not satisfied. She wants more. And there's a little bit of an argument going on. And what is really amazing and probably more meaningful than uh, maybe even more meaningful than the director meant it to be. Uh, who knows? May, you know, uh, but it is Ned's mother. It's the elder who starts to give the instructions that will compel the spider spirit to engage with the spider web in the corner of the room. And it is the spider spirit who commands, who has dominion over the spider web. And so I find it very beautiful that it is the elder who tells them, if you want the spider to listen to you, you must use spider medicine in order to uh, consummate and give your command over that spirit. And that's the, that's the moment that he goes over to the corner and pulls down the spider web. Wow. Isn't, isn't that uh, kind of um, Hopi prophecy too? The, the it's a really spider, good weave. The, the grandma spider or what was, what was her, what's her name? I'll have to dig into that, but that's just ticking right nice. off. Like, Cause I think there's a, the, in the comics, Oh my God, I'm going to go so far off. I, I can't do this. I'll, I'll think about it and we'll talk about it another time. All right. All right. Be another thing for me to dig into, but let's keep going. Cause we're never going to get to this thing. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Well, some of my slides aren't that important. We've kind of talked about it. Here's the integrated one. What's interesting is that he's not in costume and the Andrew Garfield is when he comes through. So he can exist in both worlds. He can switch between this person, this identity, his private self and the public self at will. Whereas, um, you know, the other, the, the shadow Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield, he's always in the suit. Uh, and here is him as the shadow. I just felt like this was a good screenshot to depict that as he's telling his story about how his, darkest trauma where Gwen gets killed for him. They all come together and trauma bond all three Spider-Men. They find the Tom Holland Spider-Man, the one of this movie, and they come and tell him about Uncle Ben who he didn't have and help him understand that this is his Uncle Ben moment, if you will. And they share sort of their deepest, you know, shadow experiences and that brings them together as a, a trinity, a thrice great Nice. Three Spider-Men. Yeah. Doing really well. And here's where they uh, they science the shit out of it, is what they say. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow with these, you know, these little piddly-ass speakers and droppers, they create fixes for all of these miraculously powered 
villains. How about that? And this is where Ned finds out that he's probably going to be become a villain someday and get killed. Also, <laughs> be a sacrificial lamb, which is probably true for Ukraine too. I bet Ukraine will be villainized before too long. Bada boom. Yes. So one thing about this that I see is uh, I see a lot of the uh, the Magi card here. The Magi has his implements on the table, all the ingredients you will need. Um, and uh, from the perspective of Peter Parker, the main, the main, the main Spider-Man number one, um, from his perspective, he also has his ingredients of the, his two worlds. He has uh, the other two Spider-Mans are like his reflect his internal reflections. Uh, and his two best friends are his external ref- reflections, his public uh, impl- counterparts, his public counterparts. Um, and that will become a theme from this point forward as well, that he's uh, has his public uh, components, Ned and his, and his lady friend. And then he has his private internal reflections, uh, his two selves as well. Uh, so that's kind of neat that there's a lot of alchemy being flashed uh, in the presence of all those beakers and gizmos and scientists gadgets. They have both forms of alchemy, the internal and the external alchemy. So we're, you know, we're almost home, even though this is no way home. For a second, it was feeling like it. <laughs> we were never going to get home. <laughs> like we're going to be talking about this forever. But Gordy, thanks for trimming the comic commentary i've also held back some things as i can but the next slide is also kind of skippable i think we've already said all we wanted to say about jonas jonas <laughs> jameson jonah jameson all right i think that's good uh we already mentioned the daily bugle being a trumpet and alex jonestown supporting trump pence and all that um and the daily fix we covered that cool okay these are skippable all right, all right, all right. Okay. Mandela nice. next time. <laughs> Who knows about the Statue of Liberty Mandela effects here? Okay, first of all, I don't think in the in it do they even mention. Now, they you can hear in the background earlier in the movie Jonah talking about the Captain America shield on the um, it's just like background chatter on kind of a radio or something like somebody's watching TV in the background. He's talking about what well, I don't think we should put a Captain America shield on the Statue of Liberty. I think it's disrespectful or something like that. But yeah. that's all you get. There's no other explanation of why it's on there. And why would they it be on the arm if it's the arm of the with the torch, the torch. Awesome she's, point. She's holding the torch. She, the shield in her right hand. hand. You're she's so right. The shield on the right hand. And it's not. Gordy. The hand isn't holding the shield. It's just on there. I mean, clearly she would be holding the book on the other side, but they're not going to yes. do that. They're doing it's an in, yes. It's an, it's an inversion of the public and the private. That's right. Yes, the sword hand is the is the public going out the right hand. Yes, the, uh-huh. the private is the shield arm is the left hand. Where you would so they are shield. inverting. Right, you great. Should, you know. Okay, yes. so for me, th- that's all really good. 
I didn't even think yes. of any of that. So nice. And the, and the Jameson is, is against it because he's stoic masculine. He wants it the way it should be, you know, gender appropriate. He doesn't, he's sick and tired of turning the statue of Liberty gay. <laughs> well, they, so they changed the Statue of Liberty's color, right? Yeah. I'm assuming that it was destroyed in some other Marvel movie, right? That has got to be why it's being replaced. But interesting, too, is that it's green in our world, and green is the color of copper oxidized. And this looks like a very coppery, bronzy colored uh, Statue uh, of Liberty. But nice. What I think this also hints at is the Mandela effect elements of this movie because the Statue of Liberty Mandela effects are a couple that are the most convincing to me in terms of like, I know that that's not how it was before, right? So we'll go through the three that I'm aware of. There may be more. First of all, the platform that the Liberty Statue stands on is a star fort. I don't remember it ever being a star fort before, but maybe I wasn't looking for that. So that one's, that one's a maybe. Okay. Statue of Liberty also is not on Ellis Island, but I grew up being taught in school that it was on Ellis Island. Now Ellis Island is somewhere else. So there's that too. Those are Mandela effects. And you guys heard of the Black Tom incident. Mm-hmm. I know you guys probably have. Okay. So the Black Tom incident. I had not heard of this until Brian Stavely, who was in the chat earlier, maybe still here, brought it up in his Alpha Vedic show. The Black Tom incident is when in World War, I think it was World War One, there was an attack on American soil and a train yard in New Jersey, right across the pond, like right across the river from Statue of Liberty was attacked by German submarines or something like that. I'm not 100% clear on the details. You can find out more Black Tom incident. But that, this different Statue of Liberty, and it was even hinted at, like, why does Spider-Man hate national monuments? That was one of the things Jameson was saying in an earlier showing of him. I think this is super Mandela effect-y that now we have this Captain America Statue of Liberty going on. I mean, I can't think of the Statue of Liberty anymore without thinking Mandela effect. And now that we're seeing one that's a different color. And has all these other changes. Yeah. It's just screaming it. Yeah. It also, uh, the shield kind of has a CERN-esque value to it. Um, and one of the other Mandela effects uh, that I've heard of is that many people recall being able to go all the way up to the torch, to the ultimate, the highest mm-hmm. point uh, for an even higher view. And apparently one of the many uh, things that have changed is now public record uh, claims that nobody has ever been able to go up there, that it's uh, that it is shielded off from the public. It is strictly private now. Uh, And that is all kind of symbolically indicative of what we're seeing with that shield there. And also there is a historical case that it's, I don't think it's the Black Tom event, but it's so similar. It's kind of crazy. Uh, and that is that um, I believe it was a group of Israeli nationals uh, made a plan to go up to the uh, torch where ammunitions were stored. 
a large amount of ammunitions were already set up in the torch and they had a plot to go up there and set those on fire to blow up the torch, uh, which is really meta because the torch is already a symbol, a symbol of fire. And they were going to set fire to a pre established fla- uh, f- collection of flammables in the torch and apparently they got caught. They got busted for doing it. And it kind of brought to light into the public. A lot of people were like, why in the hell were there ammunitions up there in the first place? Uh, and so theoretically, ever since then, they stopped letting people go up in the torch. And then they changed the record to be like, no, we never let people go in the torch, which is a Mandela effect in and of itself. Yeah, weird Weird one. We could go on about this facet for a while, but it's just suffice to say it's worth looking at this movie through the lens of the Mandela effect, especially with all the multiverse stuff. Okay, real quick, just going back to just, I just want to throw this in there in the X Men movie. It's there is the scene on on the uh, um, Statue of Liberty. It is on Liberty Island because they were talking about Liberty Island, um, where so all the dignitaries are on Ellis Island yes. watching, watching the thing that the, uh, the ritual happens on uh, Liberty Island, which is the actual Island that has the, the statue of Liberty. Yes. And, and what's his name puts the, when Magneto puts the, um, the torsion field magnet thing that turns everybody mutants. Yes. They're on the, all the dignitaries are on, uh, Ellis Island, but it happens on Liberty Island. Holy shit! Okay, hold on, Chance. I, so I'm sorry. I'm. I just had no, to this in there because I. It just yes. It's there. It's all coming together for me now. I'm seeing it. Oh my gosh! Soul Invictus was the Nicene Creed's editing history, rewriting the Great Reset. And SOL, that's Statue of Liberty. It is a Sol Invictus icon, the unconquerable sun. And the Statue of Liberty is a man. And they tell, they rewrite the facts and they tell everybody a bunch of fiction that that's a woman. But Sol Invictus is a cult of, uh, it ties into the Mithra cult of men who chop off their junk for a pound of flesh to be initiated. And now they can pretend to be women and be in the, uh, in the priestess class, the eunuchs for sure. It all has to do with rewriting and cutting and editing and severing what is true, what is right and true. It's incredibly apropos that this culminates on, um, on the statue of Liberty. Because it's a symbol of Sol Invictus and the Nicene Creeds and a great reset that happened before. And now they're going to rewrite history again. Yeah. yeah. We're watching that happen, man. Yes. And also, I'll just say it wouldn't be I, it wouldn't be slick dissident if I didn't bring up that the shield is the placenta. <laughs> <laughs> somebody got bingo somewhere. <laughs> somebody got it. Always comes back to the placenta. Bingo. <laughs> Shield is a lot of symbols, really. Yeah, man. Yeah, Definitely yeah. the placenta. Okay, so I guess we'll move forward here. We got nice. the final battle royale. It's a big scene. The three Spideys working together. A lot of humor as they interact with each other. All that, yada, yada. But 
relevant moment here is that Doc Ock comes back and saves the day. He's the only one that's fixed. The others are still in their shadow personas or whatever. And he comes back and we get rescued by the doctor, the good doctor, right? Doctors are good. Uh, anything to say about this? I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like there's more to it than that. Yeah, it is. It kind of feels like a double switch, triple switch inversion going on, doesn't it? Yeah, double reverse, as Crow would call it. Yeah. Oh, you mean uh, the doctor coming in and saying, oh, you're doing great, kid. You know, like kind of saying that's well he administers their their fixes too and right right? so like what are what are fixes their injections was that my cat screaming (laughs) (laughs) that's so good i'm glad that you're here buddy (laughs) yeah that is really something that he was he was the hesitant one he didn't want to get uh fixed they force They forced a chip onto him Mm -hmm. and then he becomes the uh, deus ex machina, the device plot twist that we all were waiting for to come and solve everything because he succumbed to his forced injection. And so it is a double, maybe triple reverse that, uh, uh, that the doctor and his technology uh, comes to save the day, to be the ally, the unexpected ally at the end. Just very interesting how flim flammy the whole thing is throughout with him, with that character. Now, another Jungian thing is that the Garfield Spider-Man saves MJ from falling yeah. and his trauma. And actually, Gordy, I'll just go all the way back to the comics because in the amazing Spider-Man movies that he's in, his girlfriend, love interest, Gwen Stacy, gets killed by being thrown off of something and he tries to save her and he doesn't. And actually, in the comics, the in comics in general, the world of comics, the delineation marker between the golden age of comics and the silver age is the moment where Spider-Man fails to save Gwen Stacy from the Green Goblin throwing her off a bridge. He tries to catch her with his web. And he stops her too fast in midair and it snaps her neck. So he actually is responsible for her death. And it's like the second Uncle Ben moment for Spider-Man. But he gets really dark after that for a long and it becomes the silver age of comics. That was like the threshold crossing the silver gate. Right. Uh, so this is his moment to in a synchronicity way, which is what Young is all about. He experiences the exact conditions of you know, the manifestation of his inner shadow, his chance to repair his relationship with the animus, or if you will, right? Or the anima is the female one. And so he saves her from falling and he also has his shadow integration moment in a Jungian sense right here. Yeah, he's he, he's emotional. He's got his redemption not without even realizing it like until it happens. He doesn't know it until it happens, but that's his Gwen. <clears throat> when in the do Peter people know about Gwen and and Peter, right? So um, just to throw in the Peter and Gwen now is this. That's Peter. 
<laughs> and that's Gwen. Show them again, buddy. I'll make you big. Your owls. Peter, this is Peter. This yes. is just from today, I think. Peter. Yes. And Gwen. With her babies. With her babies. She's covering them up today because they're, uh, it's cold out there now. We got a rainstorm, but. Um, nice. Um, Peter being the rock and Gwen being the chalice is another, another weave for another time. But um, yeah, right. Um, yeah, man, we're re- we're we're taking back the mythologies and reinventing them, man. We're doing nice. it. And we're nice. doing it in real time. Jimmy. This is this is magic. The cat is really screaming. What's up, That's Tim? Awesome. You come up here. Yeah, buddy. You scream it. <laughs> He's like, so, not supposed to take more than three hours. That's a half hour. So uh, I, I just want to do a quick riff on on that ex- what he experienced, the recreating of our trauma. You know, a lot of people call this Saturn returns. There's a lot of ways to you know to see this, but we do. We we will cr- recreate our trauma. It is human nature to do so. Mm-hmm. And there are uh, some very amazing and magical things that we can use that for that uh, that dynamic to our advantage. Um, and that was kind of something that we used to do uh, when I was a bullet man trainer, when I would put on the suit and uh, basically mug people uh, so that they could, you know, fight for their life uh, verbally uh, and physically. Uh, but uh it gives people a chance to rewire themselves and their response, their, what they, what their natural response was. It gives them a chance to, uh, you know, face the situation all over again and re-experience it victorious outcome. And that's something that if it, uh, I recommend for people, you know, I totally recommend if anybody's sitting on something that they think they could, you know, reenact, get adrenalized for that teachable moment and rewire themselves on a deep and meaningful way. That's a, that's a, a hero's journey. I highly recommend. There are lots of bullion trainers out there still to this day doing the good work. Uh, and that is where the hero's costume belongs. That's, the, that's a, a very good use of costume magic. I love it, man. And really shamanic healing as a thing is all about recognizing that you are going to recreate your trauma in the external world. And it's going to come to you in the form of situations and especially people who mirror exactly what your inner situation is. So any authentic path of with the sense of service to others, you know, if you want to be a healer, you're not going to succeed if you're in this ego place of, I'm going to fix you, which is what this big theme in the movie is. You succeed by healing the trauma within yourself, by correcting the emotional energetic imbalance in yourself. And then that sets the example for the outer world, whatever reflection of it is coming at you that mirrors your trauma to also do the same. There is no healing other people. You heal yourself. And if you do that, then you get to be part of the process for other people to do that for themselves. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the trick you, you hit it, hit it on the head. You know this because you do it, that 
you're not, when you're doing energy healing, you're not doing it. You're doing nothing. They're doing it. Their body is the one that heals itself. We're being a vessel for something, but it's not, you're not doing it. It's that person is healing themselves. You're allowing it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. So here's the, and here's the moment where a lot of trauma going on (laughs) because we have uh, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man stopping Tom Holland, Spider-Man from killing the goblin with his own glider. So this is recreating the trauma of Tobey Maguire watching Norman Osborn get killed by his own glider in his storyline. And also uh, he, you know, Tom Holland is reliving the trauma of his aunt May getting killed just, you know, hours before, I guess when Goblin, you know, kiss of betrayal stabs Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man in the back while he's being saved. His life is being saved by him, but uh, he doesn't go to the full to the full dark side. Tom Holland doesn't. He is stopped by this gesture and realizes that he wants to fix everybody. <laughs> but he does the fixing by healing his own inner turmoil. So in that sense, it's still Jungian, and uh, he's you know cured by injection. Fixed you with that injection there. Nice one. Ugh. That's and a then his face. memory is washed again. What did I do? Oh As yeah, the dissociative like identity thing comes back into right. play. Right. No, no responsibility. It's not an integration either. They don't integrate no. the shadow with the, the conscious mind. It just wipes the shadow out, which is exactly what Jung actually warns against. Yep. Uh, DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder. Uh, it's also dad, <laughs> the deed, who did the deed to become dead. Uh, it's very interesting how these acronyms... Uh, rhyme with the sacri- sacrificial patriarch. Yeah, if you came in late, then we did get into a lot of good stuff on the DID, dissociative identity disorder, earlier in the stream. I feel like this whole conversation was us just laying down symbolism as we went through the plot, but that if you actually watch the movie, almost every major theme that we're talking about applies to the whole movie, not just the part of the movie we got to when we brought it up. Yeah, very true. Okay, so we're cruising. We're almost there. We're almost there. Doing really well. I think we got like two slides left. And then, however, we're going to wrap it up. But the final thing that happens is Peter returns to the private. So this is like the multiverse cracking open, the dome, as I alluded to. This is maybe not the best screenshot of that, but the, you literally see the firmament open up and this purple crown 488 energy comes through. <laughs> nice but he goes back to the private in the sense that the whole world is now brainwashed to forget who he is so brainwashing good there's the final message here yep this is the Nicene Creed this is the great reset all taking part on that iconographic symbol of the Statue of Liberty that is very echidna Oh, graphic, in my opinion, with that crown of thorns. And one uh, of the first major examples in movie comics of a massive retcon, right? A retroactive continuity shift or change. In actual comics, this is commonplace to retcon something massively like an identity or a character's death. They come back to life, all of that. 
So, I mean, in that sense, comics are just like soap operas for mostly marketed to boys. Other girls read comics too, but that's uh, this is a big retcon. And I love that you said it's the great reset because it absolutely symbolically is the great reset idea is a retcon just like Mandela effects is a retcon of history. Yes. The, uh, the magic spell is even, it's, it's even like the light, the lighting of the runes is even brighter in that second time around. It's uh it doesn't have five different edits to it. It's like uniform. Uh, and it, and, this time it works because he doesn't have to make uh, all those exceptions to the spell. It was interesting that they, they uh, added the little detail too that when the, when the uh, dome is cracking open, Mm. that people are looking through that, that there are people on the other side, almost like spirits waiting to be, and they have the shapes of his rogues gallery from the comics. Like there's a, right. you can see the scorpion is one that looks like Craven the hunter. Right. Yeah. It's like the, and in a, in a young sense, I'm now just realizing that this multivirus multiverse cracking open is like the archetypal realm bursting out of the unconscious into the conscious, which is what Jungian integrative psychology is all about. Not that they burst into it and cause chaos and havoc. Although, you know, he suggests that they do in the form of synchronicities that the archetypes bring into our lives in the conversation we have with our, our inner Zodiac, our inner zoo, the different animalistic characters of Spider-Man's villain history are a great example of that. They're mostly themed as elemental beings or animals, almost all of Spider-Man's villains. So you've also got uh, the Xeno glossolalia here. Or maybe these right. are sigils, these different hyper right. sigils that are part of this higher realm, right? Yes. And, you know, another thought that's just kind of coming to me as we riff on this um, is the idea of viruses and influenza. I know Joshua will dig on this. Uh, the definition of influenza is uh, how the stars influence uh, us down in the mundane realm on the, in the worldly. And this, these runes look a lot like a Zodiac, the signs of the Zodiac, albeit a much more complicated, maybe 36, the meat minor decans are, uh, encompassing him there. Uh, but, uh, staying on theme with the, uh, multivirus, the multivirus, those characters in the heavens, are like constellations and their relationship to the mundane world has influence. This is the origin of influenza. Yes. Like actors try to do great point. Yes. Um, And there are, there are people out there just to cover all the bases. There are people who still adhere to what might be accused of being an archaic concept that uh, germs or whatever makes us sick uh, comes from outside of the firmament or falls in from outer space, whichever paradigm you adhere to. Bro, did you know what my next slide was going to be? 
Oh shit! No. <laughs> this is May Parker, and I was going to bring up the Parker probe. The Parker probe. Weave that together for me, please. So. I don't oh, know. All right, absolutely. So one of uh, Doc Ock's uh, reoccurring lines is the power of the sun uh, within my own hands, right? And uh, NASA is trying to convince us that the Parker probe went out and touched the sun. And this is very uh, more profound than I knew until I came here and started rating Chance's Spider-Man original series stash. And I found out in the Superior Spider-Man series uh, that uh, Doc Ock uh, overtakes Spider or Peter Parker's body. Okay, let me just lay that out real quick. Superior Spider-Man is a series they kicked off after issue 700 of Amazing Spider-Man, where Dr. Octopus does a Freaky Friday body swap and switches his consciousness with Spider-Man's body. And Doc Ock's body is all decrepit and beat to shit because Spider-Man's kicked his ass a hundred times and he's about to die. He's on his death. He's on his last ropes. And that's why he decides to do this body swap scheme. And so Octavius becomes the new Spider-Man. I'm sure you have more to say about that, but it's it's a temporary thing. It gets retconned later, of course, but it's a really wild 30 issues. Yes. So to have Doc Ock say the power of the sun within my own hands a couple of times uh, and for him to have ultimately become integrated strangely by infiltrating Peter Parker's body. And then NASA tells us that the Parker probe reached out and touched the sun uh, is uh, kind of indicating that that's one big club and we're not in it. (laughs) <laughs> they are fire worshipers, this fire worshiping club, uh, and we're not in it. But yeah, it's uh, it, there's a lot of consistency in those arcs of fiction. Yeah, Gordy, you got a little bit of background noise on your end. So, do I? And, I'm sorry. It's okay. I've been muting you when you're not talking. I just wanted to give you the heads up so that you can be in control when you talk and all that. But okay, so the Parker probe, the influenza, the microbes from space concept which is all so yeah so interesting okay (laughs) because what follows from there i feel like we weave this really well first of all we've got after in the uh, after credit scene we see eddie brock who is venom who is from another universe not the mainstream marvel cinematic because it's a sony film his venom movies i never saw them hey wait is this yellow and blue what Okay, so (laughs) this is him in Mexico getting drunk and finding out about the multiverse thing. And it's kind of makes no sense because the spell that brought the rogues to this universe was people who knew Peter Parker was Spider-Man got brought. But there is no Spider-Man in this Venom's universe, even though Venom is technically a Spider-Man character. They just did a separate offshoot Venom movie series and they decided he's going to be I guess a part of the MCU somehow. So he shows up. He's in Mexico getting drunk. We've got aliens because Venom is an alien symbiote. Aliens at the border. (laughs) Right. And uh, so this is the influenza right here. The symbiote, the black goo that comes from space. And that's how the film basically ends after the credits scene. And that definitely connects to everything we just weaved with the Parker probe and the influenza, the influence from the stars. 
the which is the multivirus, because that's the archetypes, the influenza, influence from the stars, the zodiac, the zoo, the twelve divisions, right? The machina dichotomous, the division machine, all of that. <laughs> puts it back in strange, puts it all back in its place. What is meant to be in the unconscious realm, the archetypal realm archetypal realm gets put back. The multiverse is repaired, the multivirus is fixed, whatever you want to say. And yeah, that's uh there's so much we could say probably additionally about all that. Yeah. Like I'm really interested in the idea of the multivirus being like some way connected to this sort of dream of reality that the creator God or Supreme being is engaged in to divide the one Supreme being ultimate source of creation in nature, the clear light into the prism, the refraction, the seven colors, you know, yeah. and then the further steps down into division from there, they give you the archetypal 12, and then other archetypal numbers all the way to the billions of conscious beings that are still just vessels, not just vessels in sense of like less in some way, but we are vessels of that one unified life force energy or spirit, right? So that's the, the multivirus in my opinion is almost like <clears throat> the transhuman attempt to undo the multiplicity of life, to undo, to fix God's mistake is what they look at it as to make us all the same and controllable from a centralized source where they can be the God of their imagination, where they can harness the power of an artificial demiurge, like the artificer of the cosmos they believe in, right? The Vulcan. Yep. (sighs) There's so many ideas in this that I have trouble conveying it in a concise way. But it, it just is. connects to so much that we've talked about on our shows, Weaving Spiders and Interverse forever. Yes. And it's deep. It's a deep question, you know. It is. It is. Uh, you know, real, uh, I, want to, I want to touch on what you said first, but will you keep that picture up just cause, uh, to remind me to cir- circle back to that symbiote thing? So if the right brain is the symbolic brain, the, the brain that can read uh, the symbols and can pick out a thousand words in a single image. That is uh, in, considered the feminine aspect. Uh, and they are uh, using art. They're using uh, imagery to communicate these, uh, this mind control, this, these, these things that are not uh, uh, obtuse, they're not being uh, outright or forthright. They're using it as a secret avenue of communication uh, to symbolically disclose things to us. Um, So all of those lend to the idea of the internal and the private side. So like if you saw something that was in this film that pulled up your trauma, that you related to psychologically, you don't, you may not even know that you're, that you're attaching, that you're associating with that symbol and that they are able to speak to you through your associating to that symbol. Uh, and so that is a very nefarious form of operating in the private on a whole nother level. 
And that is just something to think about because I have heard it phrased as the ultimate plan to all these mystery schools is to get your left brain to be in a constant battle with your right brain to make us fight within ourselves. And that is divide and conquer uh, in its, in its, at its finest minutia. Um, so that is something to maybe kind of riff on what you were saying there, Chance. Um, I like and that. That's what every, every drug, every um, medication, um, depression yes. medication, SSI, yes. all that shit makes it yes. so your brain doesn't talk to itself. Right. And it that's the, it off. Right. And then you called yourself a dichotomous. Yes. Now you're, now you need fixed, whatever that fix may be, whatever your pleasure might be. There's a, there, now they, you can go to the military industrial complex brought to you by Pfizer to get fixed. And BioNTech. Yes. You can see that that was what, uh, yeah. the Oscars were sponsored by. Bio did not. Yeah. Pfizer and BioNTech. Wow. They're, they're putting the scar in Oscars <laughs> for sure. Uh, okay. What, one quick, quick riff on the last scene there with, uh, with the symbiote and, uh, uh, what venom. I noticed a lot of that, uh, what we're calling yuck green, the Ukrainian yuck green, uh, in that scene, in the background, in the lighting, on his shirt, he had the blue and the yellow, like you said. But that yuck green makes me think a lot about uh, absinthe. Uh, e- even turpentine green comes fairy. from the pine trees, the green fairy. And those are curative uh, uh, resources, uh, a fix, if you will, that will uh, fight off parasites. And he was sitting at that bar drinking many cocktails. And then he stood up and he shed a droplet of the parasite. And I oh. believe, I believe we're dealing with toxoplasmosis. When we talk about the venom, we need to remember toxoplasmosis is a parasite. It's not a virus. It's not a bacteria. It's a parasite. It controls your behavior. It gets into your mind. It alters many, many aspects of your personality, makes you subject to uh, uh, a suggestion. Um, But uh, he just got done drinking. Could we say that he had some absinthe and that he shed the parasite as a result? And And this imagery of the toxo, of the the X-bow, the crossbow, because bow means bow is toxo. In- wow. Wow. I've been trying to figure out why we're seeing the this crossbow, but it's the X Toxo. Nice chance. Nice. Yahtzee. <laughs> nice, man. Yeah. Words Yahtzee. That's it. Yes. So just to weave this a little deeper on that uh, Venom thing, the, on the moment, <laughs> yeah, I know it cat came. When you put that picture on, the cat jumped on me. I was like, oh, that my God. That has the filthy asshole. It's okay. I'm, I got a whole bunch of, uh, of uh, absinthe at home. I'll detox when I get back. And, and Martin I, and gave I, us turpentine, Martin, so ginger candies. Thank you, Martin. Martin's taking care of us, yes. So in the scene, 
where the character who plays Venom, uh, I don't know his name, uh, Eddie Brock, uh, in the scene where he... Not the actor, that's the actual name of his alter ego. Okay, okay. In the scene where he initiates his journey uh, from that movie, from the Venom movie, he's, uh, he's uh, gaining forbidden knowledge from his girlfriend's computer uh, I think he's drinking orange juice while he does it, and he's partaking of the forbidden fruit as he uh, gets into his girlfriend's computer where he shouldn't be, and he's looking up information. And this is what it sends him on the path to become the Venom eventually. In that moment, his girlfriend's cat jumps up on the table and walks past him, and he looks at the cat and he says, shh. And that is him being initiated. And this goes back to the initiation ritual of kissing that cat ass man and getting that parasite to take over. And it's all mind control, downhill, echidna infiltration from that point on. Yeah, man. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so here we're at. Here at three hours and 33 minutes in, (laughs) I would like to make our final comments. And I'm sure we'll be thinking more weaves about this all the time. But luckily, we have our own private telegram group for that. So my final addition to this is to go back to this idea of the multivirus and how that connects to the theme of the public and the private. And hopefully, I feel like maybe I got a little bit of stream fatigue and didn't quite articulate this in the way that maybe you and I depicted it last night when we were watching the movie, but the multivirus getting back to this idea of dissociative identity disorder of nature in the sense that we've all become these named individuated beings, individuation being a huge theme with young. I'm not saying individuality is wrong, but in the idea of public versus private public personas require a name, specifically a surname. A sir name. Sir is the rock, the Lord. (laughs) It's the name that says that you're, you know, blocked to the chain, chain to the block, whatever, second name. And you need these names to be controllable, like you control a demon in demonology by knowing its name. So the public side requires this separation in fiction by creating these controllable names. And there's a lot more to it than that. And this is kind of the multivirus in a sense. Another way of looking at the multivirus is the public world of art of artificiality, artificial separateness, the mocking a dichotomous, the division machine. Whereas the private side doesn't mean we acting in the private doesn't mean we are uh, losing our individuality, but it's about being one with nature in the sense that we recognize that the spirit in my vessel is the exact spirit that's in your vessel. And we have our separateness in nature in the sense that we are individual vessels for it moving around. But like Sean would laugh, if you heard me say, <laughs> if you met, if you met a deer in, uh, in the woods, his name isn't Jeff. <laughs> it's not even deer. It's just what it is. It is what it is. I am what I am. The I am is the creator is the source. And this dichotomy machine really makes me think of cybernetics because you need for cybernetics to work. It's all about creating an artificial division in something that is a unified whole back to the idea of charity versus commerce, 
in a charitable system, you just take care of the person, the people around you and yourself the best you can. And that's just your ethic as opposed to needing to be paid for it. Right now, cybernetics is where you take a feedback system like charity, for example, or like the holistic interconnected communication network of the body where every part of the body is talking to every other part of the body at once. Our energy fields play a a role in this. And you insert an artificial stimulus into that connect communication network, if you will, like the body, like our society, like our previously charitable ancestors having this commercial, this stimulus of, of commerce and of the social security number and of, uh, you know, all these other aspects of it, right? Getting inserted in. So cybernetics is a word that re- is about the control of living and unliving beings and systems through inserting and through the use of feedback loops, really, a feedback loop mechanism. So the difference between a feedback loop and natural holistic communication and intelligence is that a feedback loop is controlled from a centralized source or a single stimulus or in some way is a routing of energy or communication back around to uh, from and back around to an origin point, right? Point of origin in the beginning. (laughs) One of the biggest lies ever that there is a beginning (laughs) or that there is an end when actually eternity or existence is eternal and it exists. There's no such thing as non-existence. So thus there's no beginning to existence and there's no end to existence but we've been divided by this division machine of cybernetics and it's done through the injections. It's done through the propaganda that we covered in this film. It's done through all these different mechanisms that interrupt the natural holistic interconnected web of the life force energy of the cosmos able to express itself intelligently from one node to any other node, the net of Indra into All of your news comes through this. You don't even know what's happening outside your door, like we saw in the early scene, unless it comes through the news. So the real multivirus is the illusion of separateness created by the fracturing and fragmenting of our holistic communication web of the life force that it innately expresses as in nature, where ecosystems are all in perfect balance with each other and any change informs every other node in the ecosystem on how to adapt. Now we are in the multivirus. (laughs) We have been caught in the web of cybernetics, cybernet, the net. Anyway, that's my slam dunk weave. I think I nailed it. I think I'm good. You guys, guys got closing thoughts. Very nice. Beautiful, beautiful friend. I appreciate you guys so much in doing this. This is fun. This is fun for Big me. Time. This, this, it just is, every time we do these things and you guys know this, um, this is what we do. Every time yep. we, we pick up on one, one of these little threads and keep pulling at it and start weaving this shit together, we get a little more, a little closer to an answer, but just like, Infinity, like you're talking about, Chance, there's always another thing. And this yeah. this never stops because it's infinity. 
Everything's infinity. There's, there is no end. This is, this is the, the myth of the, the multiverse is that people want to escape what one reality and go for something else. This is the reality you fucking got. So you better work with it. So the yeah. alchemy that you, that needs to be done, you better start doing it yourself. Yeah, there man. is no multiverse. The multiverse no idea multiverse. is a fiction. It's theoretical right. physics. C3PO right. always had a, a silver leg. I know this for sure because I have a base that has one silver tuning peg and I named it C3PO a nice. long time ago because C3PO had a silver leg. They changed spellings and stuff to confuse you. Uh, LucasArts changed the movies to confuse you. Live your own life. This is your reality. This is what you got to deal with right now. So, and the, you know, on another it. note, if what we see is this is what I'm going to get into in a future conversation. But if what things we see as a Mandela effect are actual changes in the reality, it's not the damn boogeyman doing it. It's us doing it because it's because this is the spirit world. This is not some concrete physical matter reality where our consciousness has no effect on it. So that's another thing that needs to be said. We brought up the Mandela effect a lot, but by no means am I saying that CERN or some other sorcerers are able to just pull the rug out from under any element of a reality at will. More likely, if any of these changes are real, or if they're not, either way, they're occurring in our consciousness, in what we're aware of. And they're kind of funny sometimes, too. I think that more likely than not, we're getting a glimpse into our power to affect future and past from this present moment, not just future that they're actually, yeah. we're kind of collapsing that fake division. Nice. Becoming yeah. our future ancestors. The, that yeah. is, yeah, that is a weave that maybe we can uh, put, put that pin, put a pin in that for uh, the weaving spiders. when We've got five hours to <laughs> prove that you can change the past. Mm-hmm. That's my take on the Mandela effect yes. going forward is I want to see if we can figure out how to create so-called Mandela effects. So maybe we'll call them the spider effect instead. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Nice. Nice. So, yeah, uh, I, I um, the only thing I want to close off with saying is, you know, they uh, the, they are the devilers, the doublers. These are the, uh, the lawyers, those who are uh, the crafters of the fictional realm and that is their specialty and you know sean would call it paralleling you know they take a they take a good thing they parallel it and then they hijack it and re-divert the energy from it and hopefully that was a lot of what we did today is you know uh suss out the the fact from the fiction and uh also point out the fact uh, that they are really trying to instill that disassociative identity disorder in everybody and uh, hoping that eventually we won't know the truth from the fiction. Uh, but we're keeping our heads Another on. Multivirus, dissociative identity disorder. <laughs> yeah. Multivirus. Yeah. Yep. And we're keeping our head on straight. We're, you know, we're speaking our truth, uh, keep, uh, keeping it real, telling it how it is, so to say. Um and that's a that's a, a kind of an honor uh, to even you know have a chance to voice that truth and share it with a couple of wise wizards like you two. Uh, 
and the entire spider crew, you know, all of us, everybody in Telegram, everybody in the and chat. Interverse tribe, man. Interverse tribe. Yeah, Interverse, yep. Yeah, man. We are, it's, a, it's an honor to be a part of such a beautiful collective of uh, wise ones, you know? Ooh. Yep. You know, think about it. You know, someday some of the, our kids will be saying prayers and it's going to be us they're talking about, you know? Giving thanks to the elders, that's going to be us someday. <laughs> so it's a kind of our 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 truth to keep things straight, to suss out the fact from the fiction and the private from the public, and just keep these mantras alive uh, to pass the torch. Nice, beautiful friends, guys. We I did appreciate such a you good job. I just want to say great. A nearly four hour stream and all of us just stayed strong and clear minded and didn't even need to go pee unless Gordy went pee once. I did. I did. I, did. I, I revoke the compliment. <laughs> but I came back with a with a kind of derm. So okay, okay, it's worth it then. All right, compliment restored. Okay, well, we're going to be done. Otherwise, we'll just keep going for eternity because the weaves never end, especially. Yeah. When me and Gabe are hanging out in the same physical location, we're just weaving all damn day with no screens between us. It's quite wonderful. So back yeah. to the real world now, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. I love that we had a solid crew watching on Rockfin and YouTube the whole time. And thank you for all the wonderful tips. I just got a nice one from our brother, Martin. And man, guys, looking forward to the next Marvel Decode. Uh, any ideas before we go what it might be? Because uh, maybe it'll give people a chance to check it out if they want to watch it first. Anything oh, off the top idea. of our head um, we want to do? I mean, you we we chat among ourselves on um, about what we're looking at all week anyway. Anyway, um, but I'm I'm thinking the um, speaking of the dissociated disassociation identity disorder, Captain Marvel. Um, we could. I was thinking. Um, Moon Knight starts tonight, I think, or tomorrow. Oh, okay. We can catch the cutting edge. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm sure it'll be really insane. That's going to be right on target. Yeah, well, that's going to be a that's going to be a multi weave. How can we do that in one shot? It's got to be like six 45 minute episodes. But we'll do it. Okay, maybe Moon Knight next. Keep in tune with us on Telegram, folks. There's links in the in the show notes and. We'll let you know when we decide, but probably Moon Knight. Now you know. I'm sorry for everyone that pays Disney money to watch Moon Knight, but at least we'll have a good time dissecting their shit. So, (laughs) all right. Love you guys. Much love, everybody.